Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Another great episode for you this week. Charles Soule joins us. The Oracle Year is his brand new book. It's available through Amazon. We talk about that. We also talk about his image series, Curse Words, with Ryan Brown. Uh, they've had an interesting uh, time promoting the book and uh, just uh, interested in what's going on with Curse Words at this point of their series. In addition to that, we talk a lot about his Marvel work, including his great run on Daredevil. Mayor Fisk wraps up. Now it's time for Mayor Murdoch, Matt Murdoch, Mayor of New York. What are the consequences? Charles is delving into it. He's had an excellent run on Daredevil. Uh, it also... Uh, Jives with his run on Wolverine. Charles is the man that killed Wolverine. Well, now uh, they've revived him. Wolverine seems to be back, but the hunt is on. The hunt for Wolverine is uh, a Marvel event that is uh, going on right now. And Charles is basically the showrunner for that event. uh, Contributing as well with one of the uh, teams that are looking for Wolverine. But he goes into detail about the hunt for Wolverine. What's going on. Who all the players are, both uh, in the comics and also behind the scenes doing all the uh, creative heavy lifting. But then also we talk about his uh, amazing run on Star Wars because uh, it's an interesting time in Star Wars. We're between uh, episodes 8 and 9. It uh, feels a lot like it did back in the day uh, between episode uh, 5 and 6, Empire and Jedi. Uh, And uh, Marvel's at a very interesting time where if you want to read what happens after The Last Jedi, it's happening in the Poe Dameron book, one of the books that Charles is currently writing for Marvel. And uh, he goes into uh, being in that unique position and uh, what it's like and uh, gives us some idea of where the characters are post-Last Jedi. But then also, we really delve into uh, Darth Vader and uh, Charles's run on that and his philosophical thoughts on exactly uh, where would you put Darth Vader on the spectrum? I mean, he, he makes a heroic move in Jedi and tries to redeem himself a bit. Is it enough of a redemption? Where Where is he on the... Uh, most despicable villains in uh, nerd, un- you know, universe talking. So, uh, great chance to uh, catch up with Charles Soule on all that and more on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your continued support via Patreon. Uh, if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, you don't have to. Word Balloon is free. But if you'd like to help out the cause, and man, I'll tell you, the Word Balloon uh, League has been very helpful. Uh, in the recent days, uh, man, I keep having bad luck with these uh, laptops. I mean, you know, they're under warranty, so I'm able to swap them out. But uh, there's uh, just been some audio issues lately with Word Balloon, and it really bit hard uh, right after uh, C2E2 a month ago. And once again, at the beginning of May, uh, some similar problems have cropped up. So uh, I'm on backup equipment and uh, getting uh, things fixed. Again, they're all under warranty, but... Uh, it uh, does make it easy when the League of Word Balloon listeners has my back, though. So, so thank you very much for your support. Uh, you know, here at Word Balloon, I try to uh, give you the experience of uh, an audio magazine of all your favorite creative uh, voices telling us uh, what's on their minds as they make uh, the stuff that we consume, whether it's in front of the camera or uh, certainly in the pages of comic books and magazines and books and uh, other uh, sorts of novels and publications. And I uh, try to give it to you each week here as entertainingly as possible. 
So if you like what you hear and want to be part of the cause, subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can just go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad to get all the information. Thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university. They are providing a very special master seminar in regards to writing for television. It's going to be with writer Georgia Lee, who's been writing on all three seasons of Sci-Fi's The Expanse. Georgia Lee Writing for Television is an online event. It'll be held live Saturday, this Saturday, May 12th. Georgia will peel back the curtain on what it's like to work in a television show's writer's room based on her own experiences working on The Expanse. You can enroll online and do it now. ComicsExperience.com. It's coming this Saturday, and it will be held live. If you can't attend live, you will be provided a recording as long as you register beforehand. So this is a one-time only event, again, being held on Saturday, May 12th. Georgia has a great experience in the world of television, and she is happy to share it with you. These are fantastic seminars. I can't recommend them enough. They, uh, they really do provide great information, and especially to be able to uh, ask live questions and really get the straight answers right from the source. These are one-of-a-kind events, and uh, they're held at Comics Experience. We say they're one-of-a-kind, but really, when you think about it, Comics Experience has been doing this a lot for uh, writers and artists. But this specific one with Georgia Lee is a one-time-only event. And uh, really, you should check these out. uh, The Comics Experience instructors are all working professionals in their field. They are trained instructors. They know what they're doing. Uh, Andy Schmidt... Uh, the founder of Comics Experience, the former Marvel and IDW editor. Uh, he's also coming up with a, a book called The Comics Experience Guide to Writing Comics, specifically to help those trying to break into the industry. But their courses are incredible. You really need to check them all out. Uh, they have lots of courses on screenwriting, animation as well, right there on the website. Don't forget to sign up also for their newsletter when you stop by the website. And follow Comics Experience on Twitter at at comic experience that's where they are on twitter but it's with an s comicsexperience.com to get to their main website and enroll online check it out the master seminar with georgia lee writing for television event this saturday may 12th from comicsexperience.com all right without further ado let's get into our conversation now with charles soul lots to talk about uh like i said some technical difficulties here at word balloon uh, Charles is coming to us via my phone speaker into the microphone, so it's uh, not uh, you know quality A audio, but you'll be able to understand, Charles, I promise you. And it was such a great conversation, I didn't want it to go by. Uh, that's what happens whenever Charles uh, shows up at Word Balloon. We get into it and have intense talks, and I kind of lock the door behind us, and I don't let him out until I feel like we've talked about everything. That's my uh, way, kind of like uh, misery. I'm like Annie from... Uh, from the movie Misery, if you remember that film. And it's like, I'm your number one fan. You don't want to leave yet. We still got so much to talk about, Charles. That's how Bendis and Rucka and A Fraction and all the other guys and women like Kelly Sudaconic and others uh, feel when uh, when they're stuck with me in the room. But that's team for your benefit. So uh, enjoy this entertaining conversation with Charles Soule on today's Word Balloon. Charles Soule, welcome back to Word Balloon. It's great to talk to you, and uh, thank you for uh, doing this. We're doing this under slightly odd uh, audio uh, situations that hopefully the listener will not even be able to uh, perceive. But welcome back. Listen, it, it's a if you think about it in broad strokes, it's a miracle that you know I'm in I'm in upstate New York right now. You're in Chicago, I believe. 
and and we get to have this this interview uh, over the invisible tubes of the internet, and and then in a couple of days the world gets to hear it. So it's you know I, we should count our blessings. Right? Oh, totally. You know my uh, my iPhone uh, on Facebook Messenger opened up and to a friend in uh, England. And it was open for like forty minutes, and I told, and I'm like, "Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I have no idea why my phone did that." And my immediate thought was, "God, this would have been like a two hundred dollar long distance call, totally. like in the eighties or whatever, in the seventies." Yeah. No, we we live in we live in a time of miracles that that have become commonplace to us. Uh, but you know, I it, it's it's great. I I try to think about that stuff from time to time. Sort of take you know think about the way it was when I was little uh and and how different it is now and and how amazing it is the uh the things we can do but that's i'm not sure that's exactly what what we're here to talk about tonight no. but it's still it's worth it's worth acknowledging and it's worth it's it's a worthy transition to, to curse words where yeah. miracles happen that's all right. the time in the curse world's world mm-hmm. so uh, uh yeah man tell, talk to me about uh, so you're on you're on the third arc right now and then the, the name of the arc is is, is, uh, is eluding uh, me correct it's, it's, yeah, I mean, this is the comic I do with with Chicago's. I'm not going to say native son because he's from Detroit, but I think he's the adopted son of Chicago, Ryan Brown, um, who is a, a talking about modern miracles. I think Ryan Brown certainly qualifies. He is um, just a phenomenal artist. I'm I'm feel so lucky to be working with him. Uh, and and we are on now, as you said, in the third arc of our image comic Curse Words, uh, which is a book about. Basically, kind of a it, it's about a family of wizards that pops up in New York City one day and and starts causing havoc and and they cause havoc in part because uh, they they are uh, I mean they're they're basically a family of evil wizards but they're they're a family that doesn't know they're a family and and, and doesn't think they're evil which is a recipe for a bunch of great stories so it's <laughs> it's uh, it's very fun and funny in a way that I think you know you put Ryan Brown on a book and if it's not funny you're not doing your job. Um, and uh, it's 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 been great. We've we've put out uh, fifteen issues. No, that's not right. Fourteen. I was going to say so thirteen or fourteen so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's fourteen because we did a holiday special. So there's thirteen in the regular series plus a holiday special. Uh, we just sent fourteen to press, and Ryan is drawing fifteen right now. Um, after which we're going to do a, a summer swimsuit special, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> I have to write that. Yeah. I have to write that this coming week. Um, and, just, you know, Curse Words is a chance for both Ryan and myself to do a book that is, you know, we, we each get to make each other laugh a lot as we're doing it, which is really fun. Um, I think our senses of humor align in a way that's really that that is really good from a creative perspective. Like he'll make a joke and then I'll be able to build off it and we'll ping pong back and forth and end up with something that's totally different from where we started. Uh, and, and luckily, um, the readers, the readership has, has seemed to want to go on that journey with us and, and see where we land. Um, because we, uh, we just got some, basically, you know, when, when you do a creator on comic book, it's all of the, all of the cost is on you. All of the promotion is on you. Sure. All of the, you know, all of the production is on you more or less. I mean, you know, image is fantastic. They certainly don't do nothing. They do, they do a bunch of, of, they offer very, very many valuable services to the book, but you know, a lot of it is on us and, and you're just kind of out there in the wind, hoping that, that people are going to find this story and like it and want to follow it as it goes. And we did a, a ton of promotion to try and get people interested, including driving around in a van for a month last summer, all around the country to talk to people about the book, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into details, but basically we, we got us, we sort of, like when you when you do a book for Image, um, the the accounting is kind of way way, like it, it's it's 
phrase this exactly right. Like the the everything is sort of delayed because you know that the book needs to come out and then they need to figure out how how well it's done and then they need to like look at revenue from a million different sources and and you don't always have a, a strong picture of of your book's audience or how well it's doing until well into it and and that for an, for a long ongoing series like Curse Words that really doesn't happen until around now. And and we kind of got news today. We got a we got a signpost today about where the book is doing in the market, and it was uh, it was excellent. So so we are. I think we both are very grateful that readers have found the book and are enjoying it. And we hope many more people will continue to pick it up if they haven't tried it. And uh, we're having a blast. So that's it. You know, I got to say though, it's been interesting to watch you and Ryan work together. I knew Ryan's sense of humor. I never knew yours. And I mean, you know, it comes through sometimes in, in, you know, for brief moments, whether you're, you know, writing your creator own stuff or your Marvel stuff. But I wondered if because of the collaboration of with Ryan, did your voice change at all on Curse Words? I know he's co-plotting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we talk a lot about how, how the stories are going to go. But I I think it's I've I've always yeah, I mean, part of one of the reasons I gravitated towards Ryan's work in the beginning with God Hates Astronauts and, mm-hmm. and Blast Furnace and so on is that. It was exactly the kind of humor I like and the jokes I like to make myself, which are sort of absurdist, sure. a little bit surreal, but but not so much that you can't get it sort of gags. And he he draws the way I write and I write the way he draws, I think, to an extent. But again, there's enough of a of a of a of a disconnect where he can bring things in that I would never think of and vice versa. So. So, yeah, this is I mean, I I love humor. I love writing joke books. I just. You know, Marvel, I, I do most of my, my comics work for Marvel these days, and before that was DC, and I don't think either one is known as producing humor books. I mean, there are outli- outliers right. every once in a while. You get your Harley Quinns or, you know, maybe your Howard the Ducks or your Hawkeyes or whatever, but but generally speaking, they don't put out humor books. And so, and, and I don't even think Curse Words necessarily is a humor book. I think it's a book that has a very strong dramatic component that is... Um, that has kind of a candy coating around it, which is which is the gags and the yeah. jokes and all the stuff that the, the insanity that we do. But you know, I love I love humor books. If I could write lighter stuff all the time, I probably would. I just think that it's 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 not something that the audience, particularly the superhero audience, really responds to, uh, unfortunately. Um, so, but so, you're yeah. creating you are creating your own audience here, and I wonder yeah. as you are 14 issues in, you know how how is it going? I was talking I was talking to Jeremy Hunt today. And Jeremy's mm-hmm. been kind of vocal about just, you know, where the creator-owned uh, books are, where specifically image books are. Because uh, sometimes people are all about getting that first issue, sampling, and saying, this is great. Can't wait for the trade. See you later. And then they're not going to get, you know, two through five, the first arc or something like that. Or, you know, and I and I wonder, you know, how I, I, like, is the book doing okay? Is everything, you know, again, this is... No, the book, the book is doing incredibly well and you know it's it goes back to that that signpost that i was talking about earlier which again i don't want to get into too into too much detail about but the we we what it what it meant was that we are now basically fully funded through the through the full run of curse words we will be able to complete the series fantastic as we want to yeah and and so and and we've been very strategic about you know, not paying ourselves too much up front, not paying ourselves out like bonuses or whatever. As as the book's been going, we've been we've been really trying to um, make sure that we have a war chest to to finish the series first and foremost. Because our in our opinion, 
I think there's a lot of value in in finishing like a six trade worth of you know a six volume series, getting the whole thing out there because. I, I I know from another series that I that I just finished recently, Letter Forty Four. A lot of people mm-hmm. didn't even try that book until it was completely finished with all six volumes done. And now I hear from people who are like, "Oh, I've heard this is good, and I'll try it because I know it's finished, and I know it has an ending, and I know I'm not going to get into something that I'll never be able to, you know, never find out how it's going to end." Uh, and you know, we we also have done our best to try and find revenue sources outside just the comic book shop, right? The tour was was actually a, a kind of a big money maker for us. We did very well from the tour um, because we, you know, we we had special items that you could only get on. We had basically a merch table on the tour. At every store we signed, we were we were selling items and making money off them. We were, um, you know, when we go to shows now, comic conventions, we 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 make a point of putting all the curse words money in its own bucket. So if Ryan earns money at a show that's related to curse word stuff or I do, that goes back into a bucket that is directly connected to continuing to fund the book. And so our goal has always been to finish the story and to pay ourselves like a reasonable rate as we go along. Like, you know, Ryan's getting a page rate, I'm getting a page rate, but you know, we wanted to, to be as, as financially strategic as we could about it to finish the book and, um, being able to represent that to on Twitter or to readership, whatever, when we talk to people about, you know, you can have confidence in this, the book is going to finish. I think has has really paid paid dividends for us, and and I mean, I also think you know we've we've spent a long time building up our fan base, which is, you know, I, I bring a bunch from Marvel, uh, and and of course Ryan has probably the most loyal fans of anyone I've ever met. Like his, he has people who would follow him into a fire because of his his incredibly unique uh, sensibilities and skill and talent. I mean, he's he's brilliant. And his fans know it, and they want to read whatever he's doing. And if that's curse words, which it is in this case, then great. Um, so, yeah. All right. Excellent. And now, again, uh, my fear has come true in terms of the uh, the level is kind of fucking with me and it will occasionally mute. I'm going to switch laptops because I have a backup laptop. And I'm wow. gonna, and I'm going to call you right back on that other <clears throat> laptop. I know, dude. This is fucking ridiculous, and I'm I am livid right now. Uh, and you gave a very good detailed answer. I truly appreciate that. I, uh, but yeah, sorry. No, no, just call me. So we'll hang up this one. You call me back in a minute. We'll keep going. Yes. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Is Peter Milligan's in that, in that list? I understand. All right. Well, good news. I am going to do it the way that, um, I thought we could do it in terms of, um, you're going to be on my, uh, on the speaker of, uh, the iPhone and, okay. uh, and I am uh, I'm recording on my microphone, and it seems to be working. So, unfortunately, we will continue. Yeah, we will continue our conversation this way. Just talk a little bit for me. Uh, okay, just uh, one, two, test, test, test. Seeing That's if great. Works, seeing if you got a good signal. I have a good signal. Great. All right, dude. Let us continue. Um. All right. So we just did our uh, our, our yak about. Uh, about curse words in, in, in full, so let's move on. Um, let's let's move on to uh, the novel, please. Tell me tell me all about uh, the brand new. And again, I had to switch computers here. I'm going to ask to ask you to kind of slightly fill in the in- introductory details while I'm bringing Amazon up to uh, have a reasonable conversation with you again. All right. Well, I mean, I, I I hope you will use your I don't know podcast interview magic to to make this feel pretty seamless. For yes, of course we will. I'll edit. I'll edit this. Go on. Yep. All right, great. Uh, so, so yeah, my my first novel, my yeah, first book with with no pictures, 
<laughs> uh, came out on April 3rd and, uh, from HarperCollins. They have an imprint called Harper Perennial. And, and they put out my book called The Oracle Year, uh, which for this, we're not, we're not quite a month out. It's May 1st. It came out April 3rd. Um, and it's been, it's been unbelievable. I, I, you know, this is something I always wanted to do. Um, way before I was, I was into comics, I was working on different novel projects that didn't go anywhere. Uh, and so the fact that there's a book out there that, that people can pick up and read is, is amazing. And honestly, the people that, you know, the reaction to it has been outstanding. Um, and forgive me again, um, my internet is being slow, so I'm going to, can you give us the, uh, the 10 cent description? I'm sorry. I had it up on the other computer, yeah, but I had course, to switch. Of course. The, the Oracle year is a story about, uh, basically the appearance in the, in the modern world of a, of a real prophet figure. Um, there's, there's a guy, the main character is a guy who basically has a vision of 108 separate future events that are due to happen over the next year or so. And when, when the first couple come true, he's like, wow, you know, I, I guess I have something here. And then he has to decide how he's going to release the information to the world or if he's going to release it to the world and and, and what he's going to do with it and, and try and figure out why he got this stuff. Uh, and so it's about his, his journey as, as the person who knows things, but also the journey of the world as it as it reacts and, and adjusts and changes to the fact that there's somebody in the world who knows the future. Um, one of the big plot points in the story that happened pretty early on in chapter two is that he he releases some of the the, the predictions online, like ten of them or so, twenty of them, and and says you know to sort of establish his bona fide so that people know that he's the real deal. Once he's established, once people are like, oh man, there's this person out there who knows things, he he puts out an email address saying, this is not all I know. Here's my email address. If you have questions, just reach out and ask me. And so that. You know, the world goes crazy. Like, imagine if you, if that were something in the world, right? Like, if, if there was a place you could send an email to and ask a question about the future and maybe get an answer, people would go crazy. Uh, yeah. and, and people do go crazy in the story. And I try to try to play it out as thoroughly as I can, um, really thinking through all the ramifications of that scenario, while at the core of it, you have this guy who's trying to figure out why he was, he was blessed or cursed with this information. And... and trying to understand what he's actually supposed to do with it that's amazing do you uh were you a kid did was the inspiration for this um as a kid pre-internet the world almanacs always used to just uh fascinate me are you laughing are you are you in agreement did you ever they used to have tons of uh people that made predictions astrologers gene dixon i know was a famous one back in the day mm-hmm. and you'd get all the wacky like you know the tides will eventually swallow up the united states and will be you know flooded most of the continent you know or the coastal lines will be flooded by 2014 and uh, or the well, sun will overheat and that far off maybe we'll see how that goes but yeah, yeah i mean as, as my version would probably be a little bit different you know like there was the uh, miss cleo you know, on TV. Sure, of course, Psychic Psychic Friends Network, yes. Exactly, like the the 900 numbers that you could call up and you could use (laughs) the dial, you know, and I live in New York City and there are still a lot of, like, sidewalk psychics around who are kind of these people who have, you know, they're just all over the place in the city, really. There there are people who advertise as being psychics. You go in, you get your reading, you pay your 25 bucks or whatever it is. Sure. And then they, they look in their crystal ball or they do their tarot cards or whatever the thing is. And so... It's not something we talk about or think about very much, but I think prophecy is something that, for a lot of, you know, quote-unquote modern Americans, it's, it's a very prominent part of their lives. And and if you look at things like 
you know, the numbers, right? Like the numbers up in up in Harlem. Um, if you look at things like, uh, you know, if you if you get Chinese food and there's a fortune cookie and and there's lucky numbers in there, um, you know, there, it's it's the idea of knowing what's going to happen, of, of predicting fortune, of you know, fortune telling. It's it's an extremely extremely prominent part of modern life. We always we think about the future constantly. I mean, really, with everything we do, we're kind of thinking about the future. Um, and and so the idea of of a no joke, real deal person who could actually tell you what's going to happen, like an email address, you could just email him and be like, you know, am I going to be alive in 2050? You know, what is going to happen in Avengers: Infinity War two? You know, like what is, <laughs> like whatever you want to know, whatever the thing is, like if you could just send an email, and odds are, because you know that probably billions of people are asking these questions, you, you probably won't get an answer, but you might get an answer. And how is that any different, really, from like going to church and praying? And so it's 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 thinking about questions like that that I think makes the book hopefully pretty interesting and readable. Um, and as for why like why I started it, it wasn't it, it wasn't when I was a kid when I first came up with the idea that for me it was when I was working as an attorney, which was my career before writing. I did it for a long time. Um, we've talked about it before, but yes, you know it. it um, when I first started, I knew that I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now. I wanted a life-based in creativity. And so, uh, and I was working really hard as an attorney, but I was also really working hard at the same time alongside that to try and establish myself as a writer or musician or whatever the thing would be that would get me out there. And I remember thinking many times, man, if I could just find out if this is going to pay off, if there was a way to just look ahead 10, 15 years and see if I'm where I want to be, I would do almost anything to get that information to know if this is going to be worth it. And so that was my question, but I figured that there had to be, everybody has a question like that. Like, I'm sure you have a question, John, about sure. your future that the one thing you want to know, everybody does. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, the idea that, you know, there's somebody out there who can answer that question, I thought it would be the seed of a good novel, and fortunately, a bunch of people seem to agree with me so far, which is great. That's awesome, man. So I take it that, obviously, your, your comic book writing uh, fandom has uh, t- come along with you, and I mean that's the great thing, man. I mean, c- you know, with with your Marvel work, with Letter Forty Four, with certainly Curse Words now, um, you know, you've built that fan base and everything. And um, you know, was was the tra- have you gone to other platforms to promote yourself in this way? Because much like an image book, I, I know with uh, novels and stuff, you could be on your own. I, I who's who's publishing you, and how much publicity are they giving you to, uh, that they're yeah, providing? Yeah, it- it's HarperCollins, and they have been, I will I will say, spectacular about the PR and the promotion of the book. Great. They um, set me up with, with meetings. They set me up with store signings, with, you know, put me in front of people who could be influential for me. Um, they have been nothing short of, of phenomenal for this book. And I think part of it is that, you know, they, I'd like to think they, they thought that maybe they had a good book on their hands. You know, they, they bought it, and, and, you know, they made an investment in it, and they wanted to do, wanted it to do well. But, I cannot say enough good things about the, the HarperCollins PR and marketing departments. They're, they're awesome. Um, but at the same time, you're, you're completely right. There's an element of that. It, it, you know, whatever they can do, I can add to that. And, and I did everything I could to try to bring my comics fan base over. Um, I probably tweeted about it and Facebook and Instagrammed about it more than my, my readers really kind of want. But, you know, I, I still run into people. Like, I, you know, I did a show a couple weeks ago. And people were like, "Oh, you have a book coming out." So, so the, 
you know, you can do everything you think you, you should, you can, you can overdo it, and you're still not reaching everybody that you might want to. Um, so for me, it's just, I felt like this was a really important opportunity, something that I've always wanted to do, something that took a lot of time and work, and I wanted it to, to really pay off, um, you know, for me, but also for the publisher, right? Which, because it's the way that books work, I'm sure most of the listeners know this, but you know, when you when you sell a book, you get an advance for it. So, so the the publisher pays you a fee for like the right to publish the book, and you don't have to pay that back. So it's yours, no matter what happens. If it sells one copy, if it sells a million copies, you get that amount of money. If it sells a million, you also get royalties. You get you get you know some chunk of the million sales. <laughs> but if if the publisher takes a bath and and it only does sell one or ten copies and they lose all their dough, it's not on you. So. But I wanted to, I want to write novels for a long time, and so I wanted to make sure as as, as much as I could I wanted to influence the um, influence the process so that I could try to put eyes on this book. And so I did like everything from like silly PR things to you know pre-order incentives to, to taking trips that were you know taking time out of out of my life to go places where I could hopefully meet booksellers and other influential people to try and get them interested in the story and. You know, I, I put as much into this as I put into anything I've done in my writing career because it's a big deal. If you're like, you know, if you're a big time novelist, which I'm not, but if someday I might be, it starts with, you know, each book builds on the next one. So why not give it as strong a foundation as I could? Understood. And it's uh, right now, as you say, it came out uh, at the beginning of April and it's uh, twelve ninety nine for the Kindle version. $13.99. I'm looking on Amazon. I, I, I uh, You'll forgive me, but I'm I'm, an, I'm a big Amazon guy. Um, did, yeah, no, listen, Amazon's great for this stuff because you know, for better or for worse, Amazon sells I think seventy percent of the books sold in the country. Sure. So, listen, I you know I love Barnes and Noble and I really love indie bookstores. Sure. But the market is the market, and and I've I've tried to give love to, to every portion of that, and um, and especially the indie indie stores who I just think are phenomenal people and oh yeah, love books. But, you know, ignoring Amazon's influence is, is like, it's sort of, I would, I would even go so far as to say it's sort of suicidal as a, as a novelist. Like sure. You can't, you can't not take that into account when you're trying to break your book and think about your book. And so, you know, I definitely try to send people to Amazon to get to review it. Um, I, I track the numbers on Amazon very closely about where it is sales-wise. Like, the last time I checked, I think it was like 1,000, it was... 1767th best-selling book on Amazon. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Now, listen, it's been there. It's been there all month. I can't believe it, John. Like it's been. It launched at around. I don't know, like a thousand, and it stayed there this whole month. It's been around that number. That's um, wonderful. You know, up, down, day by day, whatever. But I like it's it's it blows my mind, and you know what what that could mean for me. I don't you know I don't know. I mean I you know I'm, I'm working on another book and. Obviously, there's still Marvel and lots of other stuff, but the book has found its audience. People really are enjoying it, and it feels unbelievable. Is this the start of a series, or are, when you say you're working on another book, or are you? Uh, and it could be the answer could be both in terms of would you write another book in this world, or or are you planning a different novel? Well, the, the one I'm working on now is a different, is a totally different world, a different setting, a different idea. Um, the the basic. If I, have a, if, if I have a novelist brand or a novelist concept or a novelist... Yeah. Like, if you come to a book by me, what I'd like you to get from it is the idea that it, it's set in our world, 
but one little thing has changed. There's one thing that's tweaked. And so in the Oracle year is the idea of a prophet emerging, somebody who could see the future. Mm -hmm. And the second book is something else. It's again, just a small thing that ends up having this huge rippling effect out across the world and society. And so, um, you know, which I think is kind of a cool thing. Like you like, so all right, what's the, what's the thing you decided to do in the sex book? Um, and and it, it makes for a really quick, easy elevator pitch, uh, which is good. It makes for, you know, like a fun, easy, like a beach book, which honestly, like, you know, I want to, I'm going to be, I want to write beach books that are thoughtful. Like I want to write a book that you could sit down when you're on your vacation or when you're on a plane and really enjoy the hell out of, but also take away some, some deeper thoughts from. Understood. And I don't think that's yeah. a bad thing, you know? Totally. No, I agree with you. And, and again, yeah, this, we are entering beach book season, so this is... This yeah. is great to know, and and I, I, that's wonderful. Were you able to uh, dictate with Harper uh, the idea that you did want to be released in the spring, and that that was the intent? And you know, I mean, yeah, that's the question. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't, I don't get to dictate anything with Harper. I mean, they are Harper Collins is the biggest publisher in the country, and which might mean the biggest publisher in the world. I'm not sure about that, but I know that the biggest one in the United States. Okay. So, they they know how to sell books, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get in the way, um, and and sort of come in here as a debut novelist thinking he knows everything about book sales. But you know, but that said, we did have conversations about you know what what how to focus the marketing right, like what yeah. what core of the book was, what it really was, what people might want to be interested in, and, and what they might want to read. Um, we did talk a lot about that, and so there's positioning. As far as you know, how to how to talk about it in the various marketing materials, and that that goes back to how I described it at the beginning, which is sort of the everyone has this question about the future. What would you do? If, you know, how would you feel if there's somebody out there who could answer it? And 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 they were like, it was not a one way street as far as that stuff. It was very much like, okay, you know, let's talk about any ideas you have. We're here for you. Let's talk about it and and figure it out. And I just. You know, I, I know that not every author has that experience I because I have a lot of novelist friends and, and some people just feel like they write a book and they're thrilled to have it published, but then it's kind of just tossed to the wolves. And HarperCollins was not that way for me or for the Oracle year, and I, I, I'll say it again, I couldn't be more grateful. That's wonderful, man. And yeah, I, again, back to the uh, plot itself of Oracle year, uh, the, the uh, profit circle is going to hit the obviously... The president has something to say about this. Uh, there are tele- televangelists that have a problem with this, and uh, today's uh, terrorist world. I think uh, we'll get into it, and of course, uh, cyber spies, one of your favorite worlds yeah. and stuff. Uh, so that's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. And as you say, this sounds like you know the real world with a small twist, and how the real world would react to something as remarkable as this. So uh, yeah. I, I wanted to hit it on religion and economics and politics and pop culture and all, all of the different arenas that would be affected by something like this. And, and you know, you can, you can go down that rabbit hole forever, and I, I did for a long time, and then you just sort of dial it back and figure out, well, these are the ones that would be the most interesting for people to think about and read about. Um, and then hopefully it gels into a story, and, and that's hopefully what happened with the Oracle here. With Harper, did they were they happy to have that you have your obvious comic book fandom or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any question in my mind that I would not have gotten uh, you know my literary agent who's the amazing stuff Fishman at Gurner um, and then he wouldn't have been able to 
I mean, I don't want to say he wouldn't have been able to sell. Like, the book is the book. Sure. I think he had, he certainly had an easier time taking it to publishers and saying, you know, this guy is, is a well-regarded writer of, of extremely popular pop culture figures. So saying this is the guy who writes Daredevil, this is the guy who writes Darth Vader, whatever it is, and yeah. then it, people know who those people are. So they're like, well, okay, if Marvel gives him a, a shot at writing those, maybe he's a good writer and maybe it's worth look, taking a look at his novel. And so... I'm sure it opened. I know, I know for a fact it opened doors, and the idea that I would hopefully bring some of my fan base over opened doors. But uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding. If the book wasn't good, they wouldn't have bought it, and you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about it. So I and and I didn't I didn't get the Marvel work out of nowhere like that that I had to work pretty hard for too. So absolutely, I think it's all just part of an, an ongoing process, and you you build your career, and you hopefully build fan base, and and that doesn't happen from nowhere, right? It happens from good work and, and sustained effort and connections, uh, big and small. So, Agreed. I, uh, also, you know, you mentioned that you've got other novel fr- novelist friends. Are there, are, are there any, you know, named co- uh, comic book people that are also novelists that you, that you were talking to in terms of getting ready to do this? You know, honestly, there aren't, there aren't very many. I mean, the one, the one guy that I, that I'm tight with, uh, is the amazing Fred Van Lente. Sure. If you if you haven't ever had on the show, you really should. Oh no, absolutely! Fred was just on a couple months ago with Action Presidents, so uh, fantastic. Yeah, no, he's a he's a he's a veteran. Uh, and yeah, just a great guy, incredibly smart, incredibly funny, incredibly good at you know just a great writer and a great person. Um, and he's been doing some books for Quirk. Uh, he he wrote a book um, called uh, Ten Little Comedians. I know. Ten yeah, ten, 10 Dead Comedians. 10 Dead Comedians, thank you, yes, yes. A, he, yep. And then he has a new one coming out uh, called The Con Artist, which is awesome. I got to read it as a, sort of like an advanced copy, and I, I blurbed it even because I liked it so much. And it's it's about a, uh, a murderer that happens at San Diego Comic-Con, and, <laughs> and the main character is, a, is like a veteran comics artist, like the kind of guy, you know, I'm not going to like sort of, I don't know, let me think of a guy who would be sort of... You know, like a, like a, like a Steve McNiven or a guy like that. You know, like a person who um, has 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 had some massive successes in comics and just kind of goes in and he's a he's like a veteran. You know, actually, Steve's not a great example. I, somebody more controversial, somebody, basically. Somebody, say that again. Somebody more controversial, possibly. No, no, no. Like, like a guy who is is known as a, a rock solid, incredibly great artist. Sometimes he's on the biggest thing ever, and sometimes he's just sort of, you know, he doesn't feel like being on the biggest thing ever, so he's doing something else. Okay. He goes to a lot of shows, he's always around. Um, gosh, so, I don't know, I'm trying to think of who that would be. Yeah, but, you know, uh, we, we, I think I think the audience gets, you know, that kind of guy, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, I probably shouldn't even name McNiven, him. McNiven, actually, I think is a good example, you know, because, yeah, I think you're right. I think sometimes he gets the biggest assignment, and sometimes it's just, you know, no, I want to do you know, my own thing, or, or more importantly, yeah, I just want to... You know, do a Captain America run or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Or, or even like Ron Garney, who I did my Daredevil run with. Like, Very nice. Like, like, a, like a, a veteran who's incredibly good and has earned their right to just sort of take the gigs they want to take. Um, and so he, he goes to San Diego Comic Con and he's got a table and he's doing his work and he's commission and stuff like that. And then somebody who we have kind of a, a beef with gets murdered. And uh, the police immediately zero in on him as the most likely suspect, and so he's got to sort of navigate it. And and it's all done in this really great, 
with the, with the con as the backdrop, and we all know San Diego Comic Con. I mean, you've been to San Diego. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and it's a very unique environment. It's not like other Comic Cons. And Fred does a phenomenal job of capturing that vibe, uh, even down to sort of the location, the way people act there, and and like the weird kind of cosplay conventions that are like the things that people do, and it's just really sharply, smartly captured. And it's got a great story. It's very propulsive. It's, it's awesome. I loved it. And so, um, yeah, so, so Fred is a novelist that I know personally very well, who also is a comic guy. But other than him, there aren't many. I mean, you know, Neil Gaiman, Mike Carey. Brad uh, Meltzer. Oh, yep, yep, yep. And um, certainly Rucka. Actually, I know, I know Meltzer. He's the other guy I know well. But I don't, like, he's, he's so much of a novelist, and he does so little comics work in comparison. Um, but True. He definitely he did the great Grand Arrow run at Identity Crisis. So, so yeah, and I think he would probably be mad at me if he heard me say that he wasn't a comics guy. <laughs> he's a huge comics guy. Um, but yeah, I know him. He's actually been a massive mentor for me. He he blurred Oracle here. He's been incredibly supportive. He's he's one of the best human beings in the world. Agreed. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and Scott Snyder, who I'm super tight with, he did right. Uh, he he wrote novels before comics. That's right. Um, Greg Rucka, so, too. I I, yeah, I mean, I would love it if he, if he came back to it. Joe Hill. Uh, Certainly Joe Hill, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know Joe Hill well. I, 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 um, I've met him a few times, but I don't, I don't know him that well. But anyway, but the point is, of like all the universe of comic writers, there aren't that many who do this, uh, who, who write novels and crossover as well. So um, it's, and it's hard, I get it. Like finding, finding time and, and motivation to write a book is, is not an easy thing to do. So what's the plans uh, to promote Oracle Year? Are you going to go on a multi-city book tour? Uh, I mean, in a way, um, you know, that when, during Pub Week, which was uh, the week of April 3rd, I did the initial release date signing here in Brooklyn, and then I flew to Dallas, and I was there, and then I flew to Chicago, and I did some of the stuff with C2E2, um, and, and then I actually came back to New York for my sister's wedding, so that was a, that was a pretty big week, but... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing sort of scattershot events instead of just doing one big tour in a concentrated way, like over a month or something like that. I, sure. Because I, you know, I go to a lot of comic shows, right? Right. And, and a comic convention is a chance to meet, I don't know, a, a thousand people or 5,000 people or whatever the number is, and I can tell them all about the Oracle year. I can have, I can have the book there. I can do all kinds of stuff. So... It's, it's a little bit of a mix. I mean, I am doing store signings. Like, I was just in Austin this past week to go to uh, uh, Book People, which is an amazing store there. Next week, I'll be in St. Louis for part of a, a book festival they're having. I'll do Book Expo in New York. Um, but I'm also doing shows like the uh, Denver Comic Con, Phoenix Comic Con. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be at San Diego a bit. Um, and then New York and different shows over the fall. So the it's, it's, it's a combination. Um, I, I like doing store signings, but I also feel like you, know, you sign at a bookstore and you're, you're meeting, you know, 50, 100 people if, if things go well, uh, and at a Comic-Con, you can meet a thousand people, you know, easily these days, and, and, and maybe some of those people only really care about my, my run on Swamp Thing or Daredevil or whatever, but each one of those people is also a potential convert to, to reading the Oracle here. So, you know, we discussed it, uh, I discussed it with the publisher, Harper Collins, and, and it just seemed like, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Is this whole uh, yeah. infrastructure that I'm really part of, and and you know, comic readers aren't aren't they know how to read, right? So so <laughs> they can uh, 
maybe they'll maybe they'll want to check out the Oracle here too. So that's the strategy. I think it'll I think it'll work. Honestly, I kind of agree with you, and I think you're right. You're certainly getting a larger audience than you would uh, at just bookstores. And yeah, you're right. It's a couple thousand people as opposed as opposed to a few dozen people who are motivated to go to their bookstore for a signing and stuff. I think that's great. Really smart. Yep. Excellent, man. That's great. Well, I hope it's a big Oracle year for you. I think that's uh, that's the plan, man. I think that's wonderful. Let's move on to Marvel, where yep. lots is going on. So you, you kill Wolverine, and now you bring him back, and uh, that's uh, that's about to be up and running, correct? Yeah, yeah. The, the, what we're doing with it is, uh, is a big sort of summer event called The Hunt for Wolverine, and, and it starts with uh, where, where I left off at Death of Wolverine. When, when Stephen Niven and I killed him in our 2014 book, uh, Death of Wolverine, he was left sort of entombed within a, a big adamantium statue of himself. And uh, which seemed kind of iconic and appropriate considering who, who he is and who he's always been. Um, and he stayed in there. He's been in there for, for about four years, which is kind of a, a crazy amount of time for what is arguably one of, if not Marvel's most popular character. Um, and in the meantime, we've, we've had Old Man Logan and Yes, twenty three, and, and a bunch of other characters that take up the slack. But you know, the, the real deal is is coming back, and so we we wanted to make it make it feel sort of as big as possible, and and make it feel like a huge event, not just have it kind of um, show up. And so <laughs> what we're doing is, is there's a there's a it's a, a storyline over the that runs the entire summer called again Hunt for Wolverine. And the idea is that Wolverine. Wolverine's body uh, is, is missing. It was it was taken from that statue, and and the, the how and why of that, well, sort of the how of it is is explored in the issue that came out last week, which is called Hunt for Wolverine Number One. It's when the X Men, led by Kitty Pryde, find out that the body's gone, and so that is a kind of a terrifying scenario for the Marvel Universe because you know Wolverine's body, even in and of itself, is a pretty powerful artifact. Cloned it. If you, you know, use its DNA, you know, even if it wasn't back to life, you could do a lot with that. Um, and and if he is back to life, who knows? Anything, anything goes. It could be, he could be, you know, off off having adventures, you know, or, or doing terrible things. You still know. And so it's a big, it's a big question mark. Um, and so Kitty Pride decides that she's going to assemble a number of different squads to go look for him. And, and they're, they're groups from all over the Marvel Universe. So you have an X-Men group led by Kitty, which is, um, you know, basically a bunch of, of women who, who have connections to Logan one way or another. So it's like Kitty and Storm and Jubilee and Psylocke and so on. And they, they go looking. Um, but then you also have Iron Man who kind of puts the new Avengers back together yep. uh, to, to look for him. And then you have uh, another book that I'm writing, which is um, led by Daredevil. Uh, and he puts together sort of a detective squad. Uh, and then you have another book, which is where the, the people who hate Logan, like Sabretooth and Deathstrike and Dokken, find out that he might be back, and they go looking for him, too, so they can kill him again. <laughs> so, so we started with that one shot that came out last week, and then each of those groups I mentioned are going to have their own mini-series running over the summer, where they, they'll they look for Logan in their own way, and they, they investigate, and, and they, they search across the Marvel Universe trying to find him. And, and then that is all sort of building to something else, which hasn't been announced, so I can't really talk about it. But, it, you know, it, if you've read a comic of any kind in the last 20 years, you can probably guess what it's eventually going to be leading to. Um, 
but but for now we're focused on the hunt we're focused on the mystery focused on you know keeping clues out there and and building a, a bigger story that that we'll see down the road um and for me it's been like and it's been awesome but also really challenging because it's you know it's not the same as just saying all right we'll bring back tell the story of how that happened and just run with it it's been this whole kind of reverse engineering thing where you, you, you have I know I know the story I know the mystery I know the answers to everything but then I have to sort of build it backwards and, and, and figure out what things Iron Man's going to figure out and mm-hmm. what things Daredevil's going to figure out and Kitty and everything and build something that feels satisfying for you know over 17 issues of material and, and make sure each one of those minis feels good and, and satisfying in itself and it's fun and, and it's everything a comic book should be, and it's it's a it's awesome. Like again, I I'm very excited to have the opportunity, but it's also one of the harder things I've done at Marvel. Uh, just just making it all feel earned and good, and, and not giving away too much too early, and you know trying to trying to make sure that that the readers feel like they're being given information at a good pace. Um, and and it's even harder because I'm not writing all of those miniseries, right? So it was Hunt for Wolverine last week, number one, a one-shot issue, which I did write. Right. And then there are the minis, which are, I'm writing the Daredevil one, which is called Weapon Lost, um, being drawn by Matteo Bufani, but then you've got um, uh, the Adamantium Agenda, which is the Tom Taylor-written book um, that is, is with the new Avengers. You have uh, Mariko Tamaki is writing the like the bad guy book with Sabretooth and so on called Claws of a Killer. And then you have Jim Zub writing the Mystery and Mad Report book, um, which is a the one with Kitty Pryde and all the sort of the ladies going to Mad Report, um, which are which are all great. Uh, the I should say the artist for Claws of a Killer is, is which guys? Um, wow. And, yeah, which is cool. Um, and I, gosh, I should know all of these artists off the top of my head, and I'm a terrible person for not, but I will in a minute. No problem. Um, uh, the artist for Adamantium Agenda is R.B. Silver, and then the artist for Mystery and Mad Report is, um, Tony Silas. So, so that's, that's the list, and it's, it's all kind of all-star, really, really great artists and writers. And, and we're really kind of bringing our A-game to make sure that all of these things feel great. So, you know, it's it's really cool. I'm excited about it. I'm, it's kind of unique that you kill the guy and then you get to bring him back. Uh, and so I'm I'm really kind of honored in a way that they wanted me to do it um, because they had a lot of choices and, they, and I got to do it, and it's pretty great. No, that sounds great, man. And, it uh, God, you got great uh, writers and artists working with you on that. So, yeah, this is kind of... Your first, I mean, you know, uh, event as far as, yeah. you know, being the, 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 you know, kind of coordinating editor, writer and everything. I mean, you know, who, I mean, who is the group editor on this? Well, the group editor is Jordan White. Um, it started with Mark Benicio, but he has since moved over to the Star Wars side. So, so Jordan White has taken over the event. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, in, internally, we, we sort of refer to, like, I'm kind of like the showrunner, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, Absolutely. Which is, which is again kind of a crazy job to have on this, but it's all building to that other thing, and and so I, which I need to kind of keep my hands on in a real way, and so this is the show running gig for this is kind of about making sure that whatever happens in, in the Hunt for Wolverine doesn't kind of take the wind out of the sails of the thing that's coming after. So uh, again, kind of a weird, you know, it's, it's 
different than say like you know you're like Darth Vader and they're like all right you're like Darth Vader number one and then you see where the story takes you. This is much more of a um, you know like it's it's building a huge. I don't know, like a Lego set with a million different pieces or a jigsaw puzzle with all the different pieces that it is. It's my job to kind of make it all work as one huge thing. So we'll we'll see if I do. Um, I hope I do. Uh, it feels get into, for lack of a better description, an in-between story, because as you say, it's leading to, you know, something bigger. So uh, I would imagine the miniseries will not solve the big problem, but obviously have their own journeys on their own way. And that's, I mean, God, that's what Tom did, I think, with uh, the Injustice comic book so well. And I think, I think, you know, as I'm sure you do, and Zub is the same kind of guy, and also just coming off of uh, No Surrender and everything, I think, yep. uh, you know, is very comfortable. And I'll be talking to Jim definitely in the weeks ahead. I should probably arrange a new talk with Tom as well. And Tom understands, yep. the, you know, the Wolverine universe doing X-23 as he had. Uh, you know, whatever the, 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 I guess that was the proper Wolverine book. All new Wolverine, I'm assuming. If yep, I, yep, yep. There you go. See? Yeah. <laughs> so that's great, man. I mean, they're, they're great collaborators, and they're very smart. I mean, Rebecca Tamaki as well. I mean, she she's coming off a great run on on. Uh, on uh, she Hulk, you know Jennifer Walters. I think the book sure. called Hulk during her run, but but she's been great on that, and she's taking over um, the X twenty three run from from Tom. So oh, that's great! A group of people who, yeah, who all kind of know know this space really well, and and are interested in doing cool things with it. And we're not trying to. I mean, one of one of my biggest goals with this was making sure that if people are going to invest the money in it, and let's not, you know, I, I'm aware that. Buying every issue of this of this event is is a bunch of dough, right? It's, it's yeah. a lot of money to spend, <laughs> and and so you want to make sure that that it feels like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, not only was it fun to read that comic or those four comics, but they gave me something bigger. You know, the, the way the analogy I'm really trying to hit with this series is the uh, is the way that all the different Marvel movies led up to Avengers Infinity War. Like, you know, you don't you don't have to watch all those movies. You don't have to see Thor the Dark World. You don't have to see them all. But if you if you do, then when you walk into Infinity War, the experience you're going to have is going to be better. And I think that's kind of undeniable. And and that's what I was trying to do with all of this. So, so yeah, if you don't want to read Weapon Lost, uh, if you don't want to read my Daredevil miniseries related to the Hunt for Wolverine, don't read it. It's fine. You will be able to figure out what's happening in the book that comes after. But if you do, you will have a more complete experience. And, I mean, like, why do we... We don't... I mean, you know, comics are not, it's, I don't think people read comics to, like, you know, like, make money. I, I, I'm not even sure what people, like, why, you know, sometimes when you when you hear criticism of, of comics being priced the way they are or whatever, like, you know, all we're all looking for in a comic book is, is an experience, is an emotional connection, is a, oh, man, that was a great time. Whatever amount of time it took me to read that, I feel like I escaped my reality. I fell into that book. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. And and so, you know, Hunt for Wolverine is, I'm trying to do that. And, and all the writers, all the artists, we're all trying to create that, building up to this, this awesome experience for Wolverine down the road. And, you know, I will say, you know, you, you mentioned it, right? I mean, the story is called The Hunt for Wolverine. It's not called Finding Wolverine. <laughs> but at the same time... 
at the same time, uh, I also am very aware that people are going to be kind of dissatisfied if there's no there's big answers in this thing. And so there are a lot of big answers. There's a lot of cool stuff. But, uh, you know, just the, the more you read, the more you'll know. <laughs> and, learn, and learning is half the battle. No, I understand, man. And no, that's, hey, that's the trick now. And I understand. And I think you're right. And I, the onus is on you guys to, and women, to uh, provide an entertaining story. Uh, in itself, and I and I no, I you know I remember, and I I'm not remembering the uh, the event, but uh, you know that's kind of like uh, slightly what ha- Nick Nick Spencer had with his Avengers story prior to uh, the Captain America Hydra story and everything, and I and yeah, I, you know, it was, um, pleasant, um, gosh, see? Like that. Yeah, that well, that was the place, but I yeah, that was the place. I can't remember what it was called, but like Avengers Standoff or something. I don't remember the name. Yeah, yeah but yeah, 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 yeah. but it was it was, and it's funny. We were just talking off the air about the prisoner, and uh, yeah, and it had that kind of prisoner village, you know, reconditioning supervillains, and it was this its own story, but it informed uh, the Hydra story and everything because it kind of told what Zemo was doing before. He really entered the, the the story and everything, and 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 some of the other characters as well. So that's you know no, that's good. And that, and again, that's the trick. The good news is you've got good writers. Uh, that like I said, I mean I I know for a fact Tom and and Jim have done that kind of story, and I know you're you're you know and and certainly you're you're handling things with Daredevil, and we'll get to Daredevil of course. But uh, yeah, man, no, I think that's great. And then and. and uh, you know, yeah, you you want to deliver experience. You guys know the you guys know the job, and you know the yeah. if not cynicism or just like, well, I don't know if I want to invest in this. The challenge in terms of the reader. So yeah, I I hope uh, I hope people you know come in and and get a good ride. Yeah, I, I do too. I, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. It feels very much like a like like a technical challenge. Like, and I don't want yes. to say like the joy of storytelling isn't there or anything like that, but. So it's a real test of everything I've learned about writing comics, everything I've learned about delivering serialized stories to the reader in, in my time at this level, which at this point is, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not Bendis, right? I've been doing it for 20 years, but I've, I'm five years in, and that's enough time to hopefully learn how to do it. And and this is this is as big a test of my skill set as I've ever had. So, you know, I just hope people dig it. What can I say? I hear you, man. Well, let's let's move on to Daredevil. Now you've you just had the yeah. big you had the big anniversary, and now six oh one came out, right? Yep, yep. All right, I want to make sure I get my hundreds right because with all the legacy numbers, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not completely confident at everything. So tell six hundred, six hundred. Yep. So yeah, you know, great great job with Mayor Fisk. I thought that was great. Another thing that came uh, from the seeds of that Captain America Hydra story, where I think you know mm-hmm. Wilson Fix kind of stepped up and saved his city the way that he could and a lot of people owed him favors or and a lot of and a lot of just people remembered that uh the king the kingpin provided when others couldn't in that very tough time so uh yeah moving forward what's the what's what what can you tell us about what's going on with daredevil these days well well what's what's happened right now is we had mayor fist which is which was a big six-part story that ran through 595 and culminated in 600 which had this big kind of, the issue ended with a big kind of, you know, a classic Daredevil Kingpin beatdown, um, <laughs> where the Kingpin kind of picked up a sledgehammer and, and went to town on Daredevil and, 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 and won, and basically said, look, you know, man, the people chose my kind of hero. Like, I'm the hero the city chose, 
and so get out. Like this isn't your place anymore. Like let me let me do what I want to do for the city. And he's presenting it not as like let me turn the city into a like criminal riddled hell hellhole. Like let me execute my vision for the city. Like you just you know I'm just sick of you and you're kind of chaotic. Think you can do whatever the hell you want vigilante viewpoint. You know when I'm I'm I really I love New York and I want to do something good for it. So so he sort of won. And then he went out to sort of make a big speech in Central Park to the people, and then he was immediately riddled by arrows. Uh, the hand had come to invade, and, and they shot Kingpin up with like 20 arrows, and he collapsed and was, was whisked away to the hospital. And, and you know, in the other storyline in the, in the arc, Matt Murdock, Daredevil's alter ego, had become the deputy mayor of New York. And even though in real life the deputy mayor doesn't become mayor when the mayor's incapacitated, I, I sort of used a legal loophole in Marvel Law and, and different stuff <laughs> to, make, to make Murdoch the mayor while, while Kingpin's incapacitated. So so that started, the, so Mayor Fisk was 595 to 600, then 601 begins the new arc, which is called Mayor Murdoch. And so you've got Matt Murdoch sitting in the chair in City Hall, running the city while the Kingpin's in the hospital and the hand has invaded the whole everywhere. Right. And so... You've got ninjas on the Empire State Building. You've got ninjas on the, on the George Washington Bridge. You've got ninjas at the Javits Center. They're everywhere. And and so now Matt has to figure out what the hell he's going to do. And, um, you know, I don't. It, there are a lot of cool twists and turns. There's a lot of cool cameos. Mike Anderson is drawing and doing an amazing job. Um, and I think it's some of the most fun Daredevil stuff I've, I've done. Uh, and, and I'm... You know, it's just Daredevil is such a great character. I've been on the I've been on the, the book for a long time at this point. It's one of the longer runs, um, and you know, I, I I feel like if if you're lucky, you get to tell a long Daredevil run with a lot of great, cool evolutions for the characters. Yes, nobody else has done before, and I feel like I've, I've pulled it off. So, I, um, you know, I, I'm Daredevil is always kind of the you know. I feel like Daredevil should sell as well as Batman. It, it never does. You know, Daredevil sells, you know, a third of what Batman does, generally speaking. But it's 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 such a great challenge for a writer, especially when you look at the legacy of writers who've done it. Uh, I mean, I you know, Bendis, obviously, but also so many more. Mark Wade, Frank Miller, Drew Baker, Baker Diggle, you know, and Ascenti. Like there's it's just it is it is a murderer's row of incredible writing talent and artistic talent as well. Um so, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really happy that I got a chance to do it at all, um, and, and I hope that I've been, I've been doing it justice. Was there a thought, given that there has been kind of, as usually happens with a new regime, um, you know, sometimes they do want to switch people around, and obviously it is already happening. Jason's moving to Avengers, and Slot moving, right. moving to Iron Man after his, you know, multi-year run on Spider-Man and things like that and the Fantastic Four. So what was there a thought of as great as your run has been? And honestly, Charles, your, your run has been great. It has been entertaining. And I think, um, you know, when, when people step back, they are going to remember your run because a lot of great things have happened to it. And you know how to write the character in a fun way. Hey, great writers, writers have failed with Daredevil and haven't quite clicked with the audience and stuff. So I'm glad that you are continuing uh, but yeah, was there a, p- a possible thought of do you want to get off, or you know, did they uh, give that opportunity to you, or did you yourself kind of think for a minute and say, no, I just got a shit ton more to tell? Well, I'll say this: I know, I know when I'm going to stop, and and it is uh, it's down the road, 
Um, but there's a point when I kind of had told the stories that I want to tell. Like, I know, let me put it this way. I have a, I have a stack of Daredevil stories that I want to tell. And when I've told them, I will step away. Okay. And I'm not going to say when that is or, or how that's going to happen or what's going to happen with it. But um, well, sure. But I, I know what it is. Marvel knows what it is. We've talked about it. So um, so there's a point when, I'm, when I will stop. But uh, it's, it's, not, it's not right this minute. So you're going to get some, uh, some good stuff from me to come for a while yet. Excellent. No, that's great, man. And then uh, also, um, it always seems like Daredevil is the exception in terms of whether he's going to be involved with an event or not. And sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't worked and everything. And uh, so without knowing whatever, you know, big machinations are going on in uh, as far as, you know, the line in general and where it might be moving to the next big event and stuff, as you say, Matt's going to be involved in this hunt for Wolverine. Um, yep. you know, so yep. yeah, you're, you're able to kind of, you know, no, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to play in that sandbox. I'm going to keep doing my thing. You know, it seems like, you know, again, you, you did the Cap Hydra stuff and, and were able to, you know, find a good venue for, for Matt and what, you know, what was happening in New York certainly worked out for Matt and, and the Kingpin and everything. Yep. You know, I, I, I think it's just part of that is the fact that Daredevil tends to be written by, um, people with who are, who are able to say to Marvel I would prefer to tell the story I'm telling um, you know they, they, they tend Daredevil tends to be kind of a I don't know if I want to I mean it is a prestige book I don't I, you know it is what it is and and so I think some of the writers generally can be like look you know I'm telling the story here. I'm trying to build something I, I don't necessarily know if it makes sense for Daredevil to be part of whatever you know summer event is happening but at the same time I also think Daredevil is a very unique character, a very a very street level character who has a very particular milieu that he fits in, and and he, you know you put you put Daredevil in I don't know on, on, a, on a space station and it starts feeling a little weird, right? Sure. Because he's not you know it, it, it you can you can do it you can do anything with any of these characters, of course, but it's it's you know the classic stuff with Daredevil, generally speaking, is 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 in New York in the gritty streets in the places where he, kind of, he, he lives and dies yeah and you know I mean you can tell great stories other places Mark Mark Wade did a great San Francisco arc um, you know I, I've, I've taken him to China a bunch of times like there's stuff you can do but but by and large he is what he is and and you know I, you know he's in some ways he's not he's not super flexible I guess I, I mean you know I say that and I'm gonna immediately start thinking of stories where he does all kinds of crazy stuff but <laughs> I, I just think, you know, Daredevil has so many interesting limitations with the blindness and, and the secret identity often makes it complicated to put him into crossover things um, that, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it has ups and downs. But I, I, I'm, I feel like it's a, it's a fortunate thing in a way as the writer of Daredevil that I don't always have to put him into the big events because they can interrupt the flow a little bit. And, and with my run, I've tried to tell one big, huge, cohesive story that starts with issue one and runs through issue 601, which I think is, I don't know, like issue 42 of my run, something like that. So, you know, it's all one big, huge story. Every part makes sense as, a, as part of the whole, and you can just read it. I hear you, man. No, that's great. And uh, again, truly, I, I think uh, you're proving yourself on Daredevil, and I'm really glad that you've got more Daredevil to tell. And certainly where, where the current status quo is, that, yeah, we're going <laughs> to see how Mayor Murdoch works out. And, uh, you know, yep. so, yeah, got to get, get that ninja repellent 
for the city. <laughs> sure. Deploy sure. damage control. Yep, for sure. <laughs> Too funny, man. Let's take a break here and explore some great Charles Soule product at uh, InStockTrades.com. You can get things like uh, the Letter 44 series. Uh, all the volumes are waiting for you from uh, 1 through 6 at InStockTrades.com, and they are uh, mostly on sale for uh, $13.99. Um, you can also get uh, a couple damaged uh, versions for even less, but uh, check out Letter 44 from Charles Soule at InStockTrades.com. There's also another great early series of Charles, uh, and that's 27 uh, a great series uh, involving rock and roll and uh, some other interesting uh, fantasy elements to it as well, some supernatural elements. Uh, you can get volumes 1, 2, and uh, is it just the two volumes? It is just the two volumes of uh, 27, and they are at 42% off. Volume 1 is $9.85, and Volume 2 is $7.53. You can also get things like uh, the beginning of his run on Inhumans with Stefano Caselli, uh, Global Outreach, all new Inhumans trade paperback volume one is 42% off, $9.27. Or you can also get his run on Astonishing X-Men with uh, Charles and Jim Chung. Uh, volume one, Life, is 42% off, $10.43. Some of the great books that are waiting for you on sale now at InStockTrades.com from Charles Soule. Check it out. Great books at great prices. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping from your friends at InStockTrades.com. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Charles now on Word Balloon. Are we missing something? Is there any other uh, Marvel or any other creator-owned stuff you're doing? I know you just wrapped up Letter 44. Yep, Letter 44 wrapped up. Uh, you know, I do, I do X-Men stuff. Um, you know, I'm finishing a run on the Starting X-Men stories. Xavier Back to Life. I do the Star Wars books. I do Darth Vader and Poe Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, all, all of which is great. I'm, I'm thrilled with the reception. You know, writing Star Wars is, is a blast in particular. I love that mythology, and I love being able to contribute to it. But, you know, it, it, we've, we've talked a lot. If you want to talk about Star Wars, we can certainly get into it, but we don't have to. Are you tired? <laughs> <laughs> tired. Uh, no, nah, I'm not tired. Do you want to talk about Star Wars? Yeah, man. No, I want to, I want it every... Well, and of course, well, first let's... I mean, because... you can't, well, Shame on me. Uh, and again, it's my ignorance of the X-Men world. You know, but uh, astonishing X Men. So Xavier's back. Uh, is he? Is he back? Yeah, he's, he's back. I mean, the issue eleven comes out tomorrow. Uh, so, so my issue, my run is always planned. Was always planned as a twelve issue run, like a maxi series that that was built with one particular purpose in mind, which is to bring Xavier back to life. And so that's what the series has done. Um, he's back, but he's back young. He came back from the dead, not as a. 65-year-old guy, bald guy in a wheelchair, but as a kind of late 20s, early 30s guy with hair who can walk. And so it puts him in a very different place because, it, I mean, you know, you've read your X-Men stories over the years, and he, he was always a very gray, gray character morally. He's somebody who would do mind wipes. He's somebody who would do kind of whatever he thought he needed to do to advance the mutant cause, even if it was super, super sketchy. And, and so now you've got a, a kind of a young man who is in the early days of his of his life, who has that same moral flexibility or moral, I mean, yeah, flexibility is really the right term for it. And so he's willing to do things that I think older, wiser Xavier wasn't willing to do, which makes a really interesting character to write. And it's, you know, putting young Xavier back into the X world is something I kind of have wanted to do for a long time because I thought it would be fascinating. And whether it was going to be like a clone or whatever, um, 
I don't know, but but now I get to do it. You know, I've done it with the real deal. Like he's he calls himself X. He's not Xavier anymore. He's X, um, and and he's super cool and and very kind of dodgy in a lot of ways. And so issue eleven is out tomorrow, drawn by Ron Garney, and then issue twelve comes out by the, uh, Gerardo Sandoval, which is out in a bit. That wraps everything up, uh, at least as far as my run goes. And so. It's been really fun to write a series that I knew had a defined endpoint with 12 issues because you can build it and sculpt it and you don't have to really necessarily think about oh, what I'm going to do if this goes for 50 issues. Like you, you do it and you, you write it and then you has the beginning, middle, and end and that's it. I understand and I think, honestly, uh, I hey man, I love uh, the maxi runs, honestly. And then truly, again, your Daredevil runs a perfect example of that. What Slot's doing all the other writers when they've had long runs. But I also do think, especially when it comes to the big two, that it is good to kind of dip in and dip out sometimes and just do one or two arcs and then, you know, get off and and do something else. Um, And again, well, this obviously with the uh, revival of Charles and everything and X, uh, obviously it is kind of a limited thing of, all right, set him up, put him on his feet, and now let him go off and, uh, and do other things. So it'll be interesting to see what a young Charles Xavier, you know, does with his... I'm assuming he, he has all of his memories. He, he remembers his entire yeah, run as an no, old man. He's, he's who he was. He just has a younger body and a younger kind of affect, and he, and he can walk, and he has hair and all that. So, <laughs> so it's sort of... It's, it's a, and so, I mean, it's, it's just, you know... You're, you're not an old man, but you're not, you're not, you know... 20, I'm not a young... No, I'd be happy to be 20 with my memories now and yeah, have a chance to... Like, sure. Know, Eleven issues has has Magneto commented on this? Has Juggernaut commented on this? And well, nobody. The, the, the storyline takes place in a very short amount of time. So, so even though it's twelve issues, it takes place in about I don't know three days, four days. Okay. <laughs> so, the Marvel Universe at large does not know that Davis returned yet. Um, the team is the team is cool. It's like Bishop and Psylocke and Old Man Logan and Mystique and Rogue and Gambit, Archangel. Um, and so it's it's a fun it's a really fun group it's been a blast to write them um, but you know as far as like you know Colossus and Kitty Pride or the kids in the school or whatever everybody nobody knows that he's back and so when the run is done we will see where that leaves him if he starts being integrated into other teams or whatever's going to happen it's going to be there uh, but, okay um, but you know. My job again is just sort of to bring it back to life and then see what goes, see what happens from there. What did old man Logan have to say about it? Has he had a chance to have a conversation with Charles, young Charles? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, he's very suspicious of him. Especially sure. Since the Charles in his world was 
he, he knows everything Xavier did and everything he got up to, and, and he's, you know, he's not sure. And, and nobody, like, the way he came back was sort of unusual. He essentially took over Phantom X's body and then left Phantom X's spirit trapped in the astral plane, um, which is, you know, kind of a questionable thing to do, but very much in keeping... I, I feel like that's very much in keeping with the sort of activities Charles Xavier would do. If he thought it was justified, he would he would do just about anything. And and so you know you look at Mystique and Old Man Logan, and they're like, this is sketchy stuff. This is sketchy stuff. And so you know it's it's really about playing that out, and making it feel earned and justified. But again, not answering every question, not answering every everything about Young Xavier and X and what he's going to be just kind of setting him up and maybe I write him maybe other writers do and we'll see where it goes interesting that's great man no that sounds amazing and uh, and eventually I want to get to Infinity War but as as you say we mentioned Star Wars and yeah man last time we talked we you talked a lot about you were just getting started with Poe Dameron yep. and, uh, yep. and yep. that that's series right. and you're doing Vader as well that's right now the, the Vader book I just I wrote a, I wrote a Vader script today actually um and it is super dark. Like I, I, I turned it in, and I was like, "Man, I don't know." Like this one, even even for a Darth Vader book, this is a very dark, dark story. And um, you know, there's like infants in jeopardy, and all these all these things that that kind of creep me out. But it's also it's the character. Like that is the kind of stuff he did, and and shying away from it, I don't think it does him any favors as a character in a larger pop culture landscape. Um, and that's sort of the job I was hired to do. So I wrote a I wrote a terrifying story about Darth Vader doing really really evil things. Um, but uh, you know we'll, we'll see. Where do you where do you put him? Where do you put him on the evil spectrum? Is he on the Red Skull kind of reprehensible? As you say, he did. He killed children and stuff. We saw it happen in the in uh, the third prequel and everything. So yeah, I mean, but there was always that glimmer of the hero he was. And certainly, you know, sort of redeems himself in Jedi. But, uh, yeah, where, where is he in your mind as far as the Listen, evil I'll, spectrum? I'll tell you what, John. I, I don't think that that redemption, that redemption makes, in, in the large, like, so I spend a lot of my time, because it's my job, thinking about Star Wars, the character arcs, like where these people are. And I think that redemption, quote unquote, in, in Return of the Jedi is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> You know, I get it. It's looks dad. He wants dad. He cares about him. But the idea that that one act, like Darth Vader killed, personally killed thousands and thousands of people in the decades that led up to that moment. Yeah. And the Emperor killed more, presumably. Um, you know, certainly did with, with his building the Death Star and all the other things that he did. But Darth Vader, with his hand, with his weapon, and his and the force or whatever killed like endless people and I've written a lot of those deaths personally but there are many others and so you know I think he's I think he's as black as they come I think he is a, a dark 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 villain I I his, his soul is, is irredeemable and and that's it and I don't you know and that's the character that I'm writing the story and I think that you know yes Return of the Jedi that moment works in Return of the Jedi and um, but I, I think even I think it's sort of a, it, it's a picture of Luke in this weird moment of delusion like it's something that he wanted to happen that he thought was there I don't think Darth Vader thinks he's redeemed himself I think he did one thing but I don't think it really like you know makes up for all of the horrible things he did over the, over the 30 years that he was Darth Vader 20 years so 
I don't know. It's a very interesting thing. You know, this is a, we could spend two hours on a totally different podcast talking about drugs. <laughs> no, I wanted to know though before but, you continued. So yeah, go on. We can move on. Yeah, but yeah, that's. But, but as, the, as the guy who gets to write his, his adventures, and I put that in, in very, very sort of well-defined air quotes. Um, I he, he's a character who who defines himself by his willingness to just do awful things. And, and I think he is, is seizing himself in, in murder and death and pain so that he doesn't, and, and, and transferring that to other people because it's what he feels himself. Anytime he looks at himself, he, all he feels is regret and horror over the choices he made. And so by transferring that out to other people, he can sort of not think about what he's experiencing and not think about what he's feeling. And, and just put it out into the universe instead. Um, which is a very interesting character to write. I, I, and I wasn't sure that he would be until I started writing the book. And then I found it pretty fascinating to figure out ways to, to make him, to, to create this, I mean, he's in a, a suit of armor, okay? Right. Um, a, a physical suit of armor, but then I also think he needs to have this psychological armor around him, at least in the series I'm writing, where he... By every act of death or, dis- or murder or despair, he is he is building a psychological suit of armor around his own mind, where he just is like, well, I it doesn't matter what I do anymore because I've already lost everything that I care about. So, literally, nothing matters at all. And he's 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 a strange kind of self-created psychopath. Um, I don't think he is one. I think there I think there there is a there is a hero in Anakin. I think Anakin Skywalker could have made different choices and could have been an incredible, wonderful hero, but he didn't. And, and he knows that, and he's doing everything he can to shield himself from really thinking about that too thoroughly. And so that's the series. And, you know, I just wrote issue 19 today, and man, the reception of this book, like, I was, I was not sure what it would be like, and it has been great. People seem to really like it. People are, are on this ride, and you know, I don't know. It's it's weird to write some of this stuff sometimes with people people eat it up. You know, I I'm not surprised, and honestly, uh, I've only dipped in occasionally to the Marvel Star Wars books. But every time I do, all of you are doing such a great job. I mean, the art is beautiful, and that speaks for itself. But the writing is the real challenge to bring something new and something fresh, uh, and certainly now. Because we've had, uh, man, I mean, you know, when it was just the first three movies and then also the prequels, but now with all the different animated series as well, there is so much Star Wars. In fact, uh, Art Franco and I were talking about that, and um, I get tired of the, well, you know, Star Wars is its own thing, and kids don't understand, you know, that we had to wait years for the story. It's like, yeah, we get it. No, that's fine. I mean, it's certainly our age group gets it. But what is interesting now is the opposite challenge of so much story out there. And and the real challenge of, of bringing something new uh, to these to these characters, and I think you guys are all succeeding quite well. And and again, that's that's why it's interesting to hear what you think about these characters moving forward. And as you try to find new ways to to you know tell their story, is he exploring? Uh, is there room to explore more of the Sith religion in the book as well? Yeah. There is. Uh, it, it's a it's a story where. Um, you know the the when whenever you write a Star Wars book, and this is my fourth Vader is my fourth Star Wars project. I did a book about Lando. I did a book about Obi Wan and Anakin during the prequel era. Yeah. Uh, I I'm, I've been writing 
O'Gamron book for a long time, a couple years, and then I'm writing the Darth Vader book. And so when you uh, when you when you do any of those projects, you you do it in coordination with coordination with the Lucasfilm Story Group, which is a group of, of executives and creative individuals at Lucasfilm proper who have an overview on everything happening within the uh, within the Star Wars universe. Yeah, sure. So, Movies, video games, TV shows, books—you uh, know—tie-in merchandise, you name it. Yeah. And so, when you're pitching a story, they're like, "Okay, this is cool, but in this thing, they're doing something that contradicts it, so you can't do it." And so, there's there's always a sense of um, kind of you're, you, the push and pull against the larger fabric of the galaxy. Sure. Galaxy, <laughs> um, which is which is cool. You know, because it gives you kind of, I, I don't want to call it a safety net exactly, but it also, you know, if you have an idea that's kind of outlandish and you're worried that it's going to break Star Wars or be too, you know, out there, they'll, they'll generally speaking, rein you in. But their, their job is not to step on ideas, it's to help you make your ideas work within the larger yeah. pathwork or, or, or framework of storytelling. Of course. Great. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, and, and with Vader, they've been... They've been awesome about that kind of thing. Like they, they let me do things I never thought I'd be able to do. Uh, and and on it, like again, this issue I wrote today, um, I presented the basic ideas in an outline, and I was like, I don't know, like this is this is dark, dark, dark. And they were like, Yeah, that sounds good. Like they, they had issues with sort of another, like some other stuff that I was like, All right, that's easy. Um, but but the big the big dark things they haven't really had had too much to say about, which has been great. I really I. I really enjoyed the experience of working with the story girl. That's great, man. And honestly, I think the Dark Horse people had a different challenge when Dark Horse had the license. And I had a chance to talk to uh, John Ostrander and some of the other writers and artists about, you know, trying to create new Star Wars stories and, and color within the lines, metaphorically. And that's what you just described. Um, and I do think it was a different challenge to what there is now because every time I talk to a Marvel writer that has this opportunity, they're all about, I can't believe they're letting me do this. So that's great to hear, and I and I think there's been an evolution in thinking about all this stuff. And I mean, you know, obviously, the Lucas people have been at it for 30 years, 40 years, about with games and, and the novels and everyone that's touched the Star Wars universe all these years. But it does seem like and I, and I would I don't I don't even think there's a Marvel person currently writing or drawing Star Wars that maybe worked on the Dark Horse stuff that can talk about the difference. And I'm gonna I'm, I plan to talk to Jordan White very soon and and see if he even has any sort of insight in terms of is you know is it easier? And again, uh, they no one's ever said a bad thing about working with uh, Lucas Films and everything and and what they have to do to color within the lines. But I do think it's interesting. And like I said, no, I keep hearing from Jason Aaron and some of the you other guys that, um, you know, yeah, it's just that I can't believe they're letting me do this. And the result is really good comics. And I know the, the fans are loving it. I'm aware that uh, De- uh, Deadpool and Star Wars are Marvel's two big sellers right now, uh, yeah. biggest yeah. sellers. So that's awesome. You know, I think that's great. Yeah, it's, it's creatively, it's a blast. I mean, this is, you know, we all have kind of our... Are, are things that really matter? Like my, you know, my daughter's big thing. Probably, I would say Harry Potter is her like is for Star Wars. It's what she grew up with. Sure, she kind of is like you know that to her that stuff is not it's not a it's not a story. It's real, and to me, Star Wars is real. And so getting to, I think that's 
and I would say Jason Aaron and Kieran Gillen and like you know the guys who do a lot of it for Marvel are the guys who really we, we see it as, as real stories and so getting to add our own real stories to the real story is is just it's just thrilling I mean I, and I you know I it's the thing that gets me kind of wide-eyed and fanboyish about my job not sure. that I don't love writing Daredevil or Wolverine or any of the rest of it but you know being able to write a Darede- uh, Darth Vader story feels like man like this this is a person that I know that I'm making move and talk and do things kind of <laughs> understood man no that's terrific so Poe let's talk about Poe for a second because uh, and again if I'm if I'm keeping you up and beating you to death because I wanted to talk about Poe and I also wanted to get to Infinity War as our final thing if we if yeah, we can yeah, spend sure. a couple minutes on that because you're the first creator I've talked to after seeing it but Poe real oh, fast right. because of Last Jedi I think a lot of uh Interesting choices for the character, and I and I say that literally with no judgment, because Poe's story is still an open book. But and obviously, I'm sure you're given advance notice to a degree of again, without maybe even spoiling what they tell you in terms of how to write Poe. Is your is your Poe's book is it set during the event, the current events, or is it? You know, it's it's funny because it started uh, issues. So I'm uh, issue 26 just came out. So it's a pretty it's a pretty long running book. Yeah, especially in the, especially these days. And uh, the issues one through 25 were set prior to episode seven. Okay. So prior to the Force Awakens. Yeah. And they they told the story in general of how the Resistance. I mean, it, it's called Poe Dameron, but it's ultimately a book about the Resistance and Leia and, and how they all kind of get their act together and how they're preparing for what they expect will be a huge fight against the First Order. Mm-hmm. Because it, during the series, it, it's sort of in what I would characterize as a Cold War. Um, it's not open hostilities against the First Order. We see that happen in Episode 7. So it's kind of this, we know they're out there, we know they're bad guys, we're going to find out everything we can, we do everything to prepare for this conflict, but we can't go try and attack their, their planet or their bases or anything like that. And so, uh, which is kind of a cool setting. It, it feels like a, you know, like a like a Cold War kind of like a spy spy movie thing where they're zipping around, going on these secret missions and trying to get intelligence and doing different stuff. Um, and and so that was issues one through twenty five, and then issue twenty six flash forwarded ahead and is set actually after episode eight. So it's it's the idea is that you have Poe. And and Ray and Finn and Leia and sort of the survivors of Episode Eight are on the Millennium Falcon, flying away to wherever they're headed in the galaxy, and they're kind of they're they're talking about the events of of both Force Awakens and Last Jedi because the people, the cast that ends up on that ship at the end of Last Jedi, they have not spent very much time with each other. Like Poe has never met Ray, for example, and so they all are kind of dealing each other out a little bit. And in, in, in the process, they're telling each other, discussing things that happened in the, in the movies we saw. So it's a way to to reexamine the events of Force Awakens and the Last Jedi in a way that still feels kind of fresh and new. And also, it means I I think that this book is the first and only storytelling media in Star Wars that's hap- that's set after Last Jedi. I mean, that's great. Comfort, but but right now it's just the post series. So. Um, which is kind of, again, I can't believe they're letting me do it. Like, yeah, man. That was my idea for the framing. Like, I, I always knew that this, this arc was supposed to be deal with Force Awakens and Last Jedi, but I was like, that's going to be super boring because everybody saw those movies. So what can I do that will make it interesting and cool? 
And I was like, well, this would make it cool to do a, you know, to do a framing sequence set around the post-episode 8 time period. And I floated it to Lucasfilm, and I was, I was stunned when they said yes. But they said yes, and so that's what we're doing. Interesting. No, that's great, man. And it reminds me of the same, air quotes, problem that uh, Walt Simonson and the Marvel guys had between Empire and Jedi. Because yeah. because it was the same thing of all right we got to tell new stories we got to keep the ball rolling, but we can't you know fuck with what's coming in the movies, and uh, yeah. and 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 it created some interesting stories and and again you know I I and I'm sure you feel the same way and obviously maybe your co-writers on your Hunt for Wolverine thing have the same thing of that that pres- when you when you put up barriers story wise that makes you think harder. And sometimes some really interesting ideas obviously come from that. I, that's that's exactly right. I mean, either you get creative and you figure it out, or you you feel like you're in you're in jail and you can't get anything cool out of it. But <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I I think writing out of corner. I, I generally speaking, as a writer, I think that restrictions and rules and boxes give you if they're not too draconian, they give you you know room to move. They they give you boundaries like the. The, the example I always think of when I think of, of the way stories work and, and the way that, um, you know, having having some boundaries can be helpful is when you go, like, in the old days, there used to be things called TV stores or record stores. Um, and particularly, like, a place like Tower Records, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for, like, you know, you don't go to Tower Records every day. You go every once in a while. You go once a month, whatever it is. And and in, in the preceding time, you're like, oh, man, I really want to get that TV by this and this and this. And, and, and you kind of have a mental list of the things that you'd like to check out and stuff you've heard on the radio, whatever it is. And you go into the CD store and immediately all of that blinks from your mind because of the massive set of choice before you. You've got, there are thousands of CDs available in that store. And you, you know, you forget what you went in there to get because you have this kind of, all of this choice arrayed in front of you. And I think that story can be sort of the same way. If it's just like, okay, write a cool Daredevil story, you're like, oh man, I don't know what that could be. You know, it's, it's kind of intimidating and you don't, you get kind of locked up in the endless possibilities. Like, should it be, I don't know, which villain should I choose? You know, sure. Foggy in it, should there be a love interest? Like, what should I do? Oh my God, like, is it going to be as good as Born Again? Like, you get, you get <laughs> sort of, there's this cyclone of, of options that is that can be paralyzing. But if somebody says to you, okay, write a Daredevil story, um, I want a boxing to be an element, I want Bullseye to be in it, uh, and I need Black Widow to be in it, and I want Matt to um, have, I don't know, he, he goes deaf. And so you're like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, that's, like, then then it starts to take shape in a way sure. that is kind of, kind of useful and I think that the, the Star Wars stuff in particular and Hunt for Wolverine too is you know the, the boxes are there but they're not so restrictive that you can't find the stories within them and, and they they're, they're just present enough that they, they get your mind going and you get thinking about um, oh wow okay I know I can't do this this and this but I, maybe I can do that and so it narrows your mind it narrows your focus a little bit and hopefully good stories result that's excellent, man. No, I'm I'm really happy for you, and um, I think also the way things were left with Poe in uh, Last Jedi uh, open up some other possibilities. Been yep. you know, and in fact, yeah, I'm sure you were having the same 
conversations with friends as well that that I was in terms of, oh, that's weird. You know, the relationship with Leia and Poe has obviously changed because of the consequences of Last Jedi and when he's defied her and everything. So that's, you know, and as you say, too, just putting all these new people together who haven't been together. But, yeah, go ahead. You're the one that's writing this stuff. Tell me about it. No, I, 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 I mean, that's exactly it. You know, like thinking of the dynamics dynamics after Episode Eight uh, and where these people would be and how they would feel. I mean, Poe has to acknowledge the fact that he really, you know, he screwed things up in, a, in, in Last Jedi. Like, he made a lot of bad decisions like kind of one after the other and despite making a couple good ones at the end it doesn't it's just like when we talked about Darth Vader and Return of the Jedi like making one de- couple good decisions at the very end doesn't negate all of the bad decisions you made um, and I think it's you could you could arguably lay a lot of the the deaths in episode 8 at his door and I, not all of them you know he didn't he didn't do everything but he certainly made some bad choices yeah so um and he knows it, at least in the way I'm writing him. And so, you know, recognizing that is is important. And looking at even Ray, right? Like Ray is a character who went through enormous changes in Last Jedi, and getting to write her after it is fascinating. Finn as well, and like all of them. You know, Chewbacca is cool to write Chewbacca. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's, it's just it's just it's just a fun opportunity to to explore these relationships a little bit. And I know that. Maybe episode nine contradicts them when it comes out. Maybe JJ Abrams has a different take on the stuff. But for now, I'm the guy telling the stories, and it's it's pretty awesome. It's going to be interesting, and I and I know we're all, no matter what you felt about uh, Last Jedi, it, it I I appreciated it from you know, I, and obviously the reason why I, I lean a lot and talk more to writers than artists is I mean I I'm a I was a sports writer and and uh, from a fiction standpoint. I can't help but step back sometimes process-wise and watch things like something that Bendis has always brought up, how the West Wing, after season four and Aaron Sorkin leaving, and leaving the other writers with the problem of, okay, President's daughter's kidnapped, President is going to recuse himself from the whole situation, resign, and now this conservative Speaker of the House is taking over, what does that all mean? And and just you know abrupt and that's why what what Ryan did with um, with Last Jedi and everything it's like all right JJ you thought you were going this way well fuck you let me shut this yeah. door shut this door shut that door now what are you gonna do good luck see you on episode nine and that I'm excited about that I that doesn't frustrate me I think that's thrilling and all right let's throw it back in and what all right guys what do you got for us now totally I. I... You know, as a, I, I, I saw that movie, I don't know, four or five times because, you know, because I liked it. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't just like it. I loved that movie. And, and, and Me too. And, you know, there's, you see it for work and, like, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons to see it a number of times. And I did. And the, the real takeaway from it for me was, oh, my God, there's so much story here for them. Like, for whoever is doing episode nine. Uh, you know, JJ's doing it. Um, I guess it was announced just before that. But so, like, JJ Abrams has so much meat on the bone at this point that I don't know that he would have had if he had just if Ryan Johnson's just some sort of a paint by numbers version of Episode Eight. So, uh, you know, I, I think there are things we all really want to see uh, in in Nine. Like, if if Nine goes through and we don't see Luke, I'll be I'll be you know what I assume it's done well. I'll be I'll respect the choices, but man, I want to see. Luke back right as a force goes of course her. of course um you know and 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 i will say that i think jg Abrams is a good choice in some ways because you know we've got a we've got a trilogy here we've got seven eight nine 
and and seven needed to be the massive crowd pleasing come back to star wars we love you star wars loves you you're gonna love star wars again <laughs> and it was it, it was agreed um and and eight is supposed to be the one that challenges everything you you know just like in first breaks back challenges everything you think you know about these stories and and the relationships between the characters and all of that and it and it did it and and then nine um is return of the jedi where, where we we kind of can see the beats coming in a way like you know the things that are hypothetically supposed to happen um which are the, you know, hopefully, I mean, presumably the First Order is going to be defeated in some way, and, and the heroes will step up, and, and so on. But there's so much that we don't know about the way it's going to happen, uh, and, and I think a lot of that is due to the choice that Ryan Johnson made in Last Jedi. Agreed. And I know, not, I know for sure not everybody was happy with it, but whatever, man. Like, you know, when all's said and done, I think it's going to, we'll look at that movie and think it was perfect. Well, and uh, I, it sounds like, given the, your hopes that Luke will come back, you know, in nine, and I feel the same way. That was my only small complaint was wish there was a little more Luke in there, and uh, and and especially when you hear about some of the scenes that they deleted, uh, you know, or you know, God, now I'm speaking DVD as opposed to film and everything, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that was that was my only small like, okay, man, come on, it's still Luke, and I understand it's the new generation, and you want to focus on them, but I am a little disappointed with the, you know, kind of backseat that the original cast has taken, and especially now uh, that uh, poor Carrie Fisher passes away. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, but again, you know, we've got, we you know, there's a chance for spiritual Luke to have some good moments in Nine, and I, and I think we're all, boy, that'll be very, like you said, I feel the same way. If they don't do it, I'm sure they'll find a creative way to tell a good story, but, uh, yeah, they, they better pay off. There better be more Luke, damn it. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I just want more Luke, like, I don't know, I thought Luke Skywalker was phenomenal in that movie from beginning to end, uh, and, and you know, that little, like, real-world sword fight he had with, with Rey uh, on the island briefly was, like, so good, and I, you know, I I loved, I kind of, I loved the fake-out thing with, with Kylo at the end and everything like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen a real deal like they were fight with Skywalker, one more. Um, but you know what? Whatever. I, you know, it, it, you, <laughs> it's not our story. Right. You know, we, we, and that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, people think, people feel like it is their story and, and they get to, you know, decide if it's good or bad based on whether it told the story that they would have told. And yep. That's not right. You know, no, it's... It is what it is. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, I, and also, you're right. And I think that is the classic problem with uh, man, and it even spreads into broadcast radio because we all think we know what we want, and all we can think of is the familiar. And so we're very, you know, sometimes we construct our own boxes of no, this has to happen, or else it's not a good Star Wars story. And when it and and the challenge is to say, uh, and I think Force Awakens was a good example of it. Of of course, we're going to give you the familiar. But we got to give you a few things to to make, surprise you and and poke you in the face in a hopefully a positive way where it's like oh I wasn't I didn't see that coming holy shit and and certainly Jedi Last Jedi absolutely did that and uh, yeah so that's and, and again that's why ooh that's exciting let's see what happens next and that's a good way to dovetail into Infinity War and first of all yeah. let me let me put out the spoiler disclaimer. Because it's still the first week as we're recording this, the likelihood is this will be out 
at the very least Wednesday or Thursday of this week. So I don't want to fuck anybody's movie plans up. So as I continue to talk right now, now would be the time to bail. And I thank you for listening. And and when you see the movie, come on back and and you'll hear me and Charles and our thoughts about this. Uh, I, I we've been entertaining, I think, and, and had a nice conversation. So you got a nice full episode now. But yeah, uh, here's our here's here's our spoiler moments uh, coming in five, four, three, two, one. Okay, welcome to spoilers. All right, so so Infinity War. I loved it, man. I thought it was excellent. Um, you know, I, I appreciated the surprises. I stayed away as best as I could from even watching a lot of trailers because I really wanted to watch this fresh and everything. But uh, what would you think? Uh, I, I loved it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I saw it Sunday morning, um, and uh, I had a blast. I thought, you know, God, the, the writing challenge of it, in some ways, I thought, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, like, I, I might change this opinion, but I, I remember coming out of Civil War thinking, holy shit, how did they pull that off um, in terms of the, the balancing and, and all the characters and all the all the storylines they didn't serve. But Infinity War is, is like a billion times harder than that. Yes. It had all these different... And, and the tones of, like, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy universe versus, say, the Captain America universe totally. is... To, extremely different and, and, and <laughs> Wakanda versus you know just Thor. different places yeah but yeah, yeah yeah Wakanda versus Thor that's a great example and so you know like getting it all balanced like I can't even imagine the challenge of it uh, but but I just you know, and, and the great thing about it was that while I was watching it I was able to just sort of you know divorce myself from the craft of it I, the, the craft kind of sunk in over the in, in the intervening days while I was watching it, I was just completely absorbed and had a blast. And the, you know, the ending, wow, you know, that's, it was, it's a ballsy choice, even knowing that they're going to make another movie. And even knowing that, like, Black Panther 2 and Spider-Man 2 are coming out, <laughs> it still was an amazing decision to make. Agreed. And I, and it's, the, the one byproduct of all that is, and if you haven't bailed now, definitely bail, because we'll get into the spoilers. I love, like, and I'm laughing at, the mainstream pop culture articles about oh well I, I know T'Challa's dead but here's how they can maybe do Black Panther 2 and it's like yeah um, obviously you're not familiar with the comic book world dead isn't always like dead and and also that they're spelling out reality changing infinity gem and time infinity gem and it's like Oh no, the 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 god machine the Duas Machina is is right there on Thanos's fa- fist and yeah. you know, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. I, you know, I, yes, I, I I would think I think it will be kind of a bummer if some of those deaths don't stick. Um, I don't want to pick and choose because I you know I like a lot of the characters, but you know the the uh, I, I don't know. I think honestly, like again, it's kind of like we're talking about with episode nine. Like I think the real you know high wire act is going to be Infinity War 2 whatever they end up Avengers yeah. 4 yeah. because that's when we really get to like you know make the decisions to like how you bring back some and you don't bring back others you know why you do that and, and who you end up with at the end of it while introducing Captain Marvel which is obviously going to happen yep. and, and bringing in presumably I would guess Hawkeye and then the Wasp and, and Ant-Man yeah yep and into whatever you know whatever story they decide to tell so you know, for me, the the big mysterious thing, like, you know, Infinity War, 
kind of played at like you know I've written Infinity Gauntlet like you know you know like it it wasn't it was it was beautifully done it was in, like kind of impeccably executed especially from a character level but you know I kind of knew that's probably where they were going to go at the end especially since they keep referring to the finger stab um, you know I think two or two or three other times in the film they mention it so you're like, well that's where it's going to go <laughs> but now but now I don't know I don't know where it's going to go other than you know, Doctor Strange presumably saw this coming and saw a future in which they won that needed to get to that point. But then from here, I don't know. Like, Avengers 4 is, is the really interesting one to me because I don't know how they're going to get out of all this. I hear you, man. supposed to be. I mean, that's what comic books are, you know? Absolutely. No, agreed. Uh, and yeah, I, again, I, I think the balancing act, I think they really achieved it well. Uh, the, again, the only small thing I would say... And it's it's really not a complaint, uh, but it's just an ob- an obvious observation that if you were someone who's never seen a Marvel movie walking into it, good luck. Oh, yeah, yeah, good luck, exactly. But that's not. I mean, that's okay. I, I I admire them just saying, you know what? If you haven't seen one of our movies, then you know whatever. What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, kind of. And and honestly, I mean, those movies have made so much money. And then so many people have seen them on in, in various formats, whether it's in the theaters, DVDs, Blu-rays, TV, whatever it is. Like, you know, it's a pretty... It's I think that the subset of people who've never seen any of them is small. Yeah. Um, relatively speaking. In terms of people who, are, who would go see Infinity War, the, the subset of people who would... I mean, how many, how many people are walking into Infinity War cold? Like, it's got to be... You know, 2%. Yeah, a handful, a handful of grandmas, a handful of wives, a handful of... And I don't mean to forgive me uh, as if this sounds sexist. We, I'm sure there are some grandpas that are going to be confused. I'm sure there are some dads that don't care about Marvel the way their kids do. I suppose. Right. I suppose. But I think Marvel has done a good job, the film universe, to be as inclusive as they can. And also, it's interesting to see movies move into this kind of... Uh, you know, serial storytelling. And yes, we've had it before with Star Wars, but not to this level. And I think that's really interesting because it does kind of look like today's television series in terms of, yeah. no, if you're, you know, if you're not watching Breaking Bad and you just decide to pop in for an episode, good luck. You know, I mean, it's... thousand oh, percent. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's interesting because, uh, and, I, and I've talked to uh, both... Uh, Hollywood people and comic book people about this, the current challenge of Hollywood films. And, you know, I'm sure you read the same Jodie Foster quotes a few months ago where she's like, you know, I can't make my kind of movies anymore that made my career. They all seem to have to be spectaculars. And it's interesting to watch the other film studios with their other franchises try to emulate Marvel not just Warner Brothers in DC, but even Universal with the monster movies and stuff. And they've got broad, yeah. ambitious plans, and the first movie kind of stumbles. And they're, I mean, these aren't movies that are 30 or $40 million, which is a conservative movie budget. These are $200 million movie budgets. And so yeah. when, a, when a movie bombs, the studio hurts really bad. I mean, Warner Brothers, yeah. Warner Brothers had it with uh, King Arthur. They had that new King Arthur, and oh, this is going to be the start of a new franchise. And every, and the majority of us said, we don't care. We don't want this. So it's very interesting to cater to that spectacular audience. And again, 
there's there's almost and and truly I I'm not pointing at any specific studio, but there really is, is this almost ridiculous expectation of well we made a two hundred dollar movie it better make eight hundred million or else we wasted our money and it's like well first of all nobody told you to spend that much money and secondly you guys are idiots spending that much to uh, roll the dice in that kind of yeah. make or break world so I find this very very fascinating where Mar- and also good lord James Cameron I'm sure you read his quotes lately. Yeah, I have. I mean, I'm. I'm honestly though. I'm. I'm like. I'll watch anything James Cameron does. I Agreed. Think, I think he's a genius filmmaker. Um, but I, I think the interconnected universe stuff is. It, it's hard. And I don't even think it's a matter of content, right? Like, I think if you had the right uh, mix of elements, I think a, a sort of a, a universal monster movie universe could be amazing. Um, but they. They. They just made a bad movie with the mummy, I guess. I mean, yeah. I, I, that's unfair to say I haven't seen it, and I, I don't like to make judgments about things before I see them or watch them or hear them, but but I, the, the general critical consensus is, is, at best, it was mediocre. And so, you know, I, I, that's why I haven't seen it, and I think that's why a lot of people didn't see it. So you look at something like that, and, and, and I think if it had been awesome, then we'd all be like, oh man, bring on Frankenstein, bring on Wolfman, bring on Dracula, whatever. Sure. And then, and then we'd be excited to see those, and, and then we'd be excited to see Monsters Unite or whatever they decided to call it. Um, <laughs> but, but I would say this. I think that making a movie, making a good movie, period, is one of the hardest creative things there is to do. Agreed. Um, and, and the idea that you can make 10 of them or 20, or 20, like, I think End of the Wasp was the 20th Marvel movie. So the idea that you could make 20 of them and they'd all have a sort of a unified level of quality is is ludicrous. And I, I kind of can't believe Marvel pulled it off, and I don't know how they did it, honestly. Um, and, and I'm not surprised that all the other efforts have stumbled to a degree. And I, you know, the one that, the only one that kind of bums me out, like, I, I mean, I would watch... A, a Universal Monster movie universe if it was great, but I don't, you know, it's not keeping me up at night that it wasn't. Um, but I am a little bummed that the DC Interconnected Universe hasn't really landed, and I, I know that there are probably people listening to this that will find that to be a very controversial standpoint, uh, who who loved every bit of it and thought Batman vs. Superman was the greatest thing ever, but I, it, it, it doesn't, it, you know, for me, it doesn't connect the same way that the Marvel Universe does. Um, Wonder Woman notwithstanding, and elements of Batman versus Superman and Justice League and whatever, notwithstanding. But you know, I, I don't know. It's um, I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure why, really. Uh, but it doesn't feel the same, and it kind of bugs me out because I love the DC characters so much. I loved working on them when I was when I was at DC. Sure. I'd love to see them on screen in a way that really felt. Uh, I don't know. True, true to true to true to what I know them from the comics to be. Uh, which the movies, except for Wonder Woman, haven't really felt that way. Again, elements of Superman, elements of Man of Steel, elements of Justice League, there have been moments. But but as a unified whole, I don't think they've landed the same way. I, I, I feel exactly the same way. And again, what I keep pointing out is, as much as the movies have stumbled uh, or been divided in terms of their reception, the television universe with DC has been great uh, yeah. and, and, un- and unified and... Their crossover stories absolutely work, and it's been a pleasure. So I always say that even as much as DC has stumbled with a lot of these movies, they're one or two movies away from writing the ship. And I'm sure they'll find they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out because these characters are too great to 
uh, settle for mediocrity. And I and Warner Brothers knows what they have. They just don't, you know, they just haven't executed the right game plan. And they 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 put all their eggs in one basket, and um, with with you know with one specific filmmaker, and that was probably a mistake. And and it's as opposed to Feige, who Kevin Feige, who's the producer and kind of running things. And we've even seen obviously filmmakers that couldn't work in in the Marvel universe boxes. Edgar Wright and and others as well that are just like, yeah, it's not feeling like the movie I wanted to make. I got to bail. And it's like, okay, no problem. We're going to swap you out. Peyton Reed will take over Ant-Man, and we got a great movie out of it. And I mean, that's the thing. I, I, it's again, as as someone who really loves watching the behind the curtain and how pop culture works from a corporate standpoint and a planning standpoint, I think this is all very fascinating. And uh, you know, yeah, the right, like you know, the guy I always quote is, um, and now I'm blanking on his name. The French Connection, French Connection uh, director William Friedkin. William Friedkin always says, "For a great movie to work, a thousand things have to happen correctly." And and he's right. And you, and you can't and you can't like you know force them to happen ahead of time. Like they sort of everyone is a roll of dice. It's all just luck, you know. Yep, absolutely, man. No, I think it's uh it's it's very interesting, and that that's my 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 brief comment on uh, infinity war as well i agree with you i can't wait to see what happens next i thought the connections that they put together in the movie were excellent and everyone's voice was absolutely the way you expected them to be as far as character and the way they were written and so many elements like the red skull being resurrected was such a pleasant surprise what a weird way to say that, but it it was great, and I and that's awesome that he's out there because it's so funny. Since the first Avenger Captain America movie, I'm like that is too good of a character that can't be it. You know, eventually they're gonna find a way of bringing him back, and so you know that's kind of interesting that he's on that planet, and I wonder how it will impact Avengers four or beyond that. And like you say too, we all know that a bunch of actors are going to be leaving this franchise so it's it is very interesting to see who will stay dead who will be alive and i mean also further down the line you know when is it okay to reboot this thing and and bring some of these characters back because i do want the story to continue but i also want there to be just as an example because it seems like he's the one that everyone is leaning on possibly leaving is chris evans i'm like oh i really well you know i don't want that to close the door on Steve Rogers' Captain America movies, but we'll see. Yep, yep, exactly. I mean, it, you know, that's the nice thing is the future is wide open, and, and I, I look, I feel like we're in very good hands storytelling wise, and I look forward to seeing the choices that they make. Couldn't agree more, man. Well, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go because we're coming on two hours. You have been a mensch, dude. I am so sorry uh, for for the listeners. Massive tef- technical difficulties. That's why the sound kind of changed after the first uh, ten or fifteen minutes of the podcast. Uh, but uh, Charles was a trooper, uh, willing to willing to talk to me as long as he did, uh, despite these problems. So we're on juice cans and string right now. If you remember your, how you used to play telephone when you were a kid. So uh, well, it was a pleasure. I always love doing this podcast. You're a very very thoughtful and, and comprehensive interviewer, and it's always a blast to chat with you. So thanks for having me on. Hey man, keep up the great work, and uh, really good luck with Oracle Year and uh, the uh, you know uh, obviously curse words and all this great Marvel stuff that you're doing, not only the Star Wars world, but Daredevil and Wolverine and uh, the X-Verse and everything else that's coming out from uh, Charles Soule. Congratulations, man. Keep it up. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon, John.
That's Charles Soule. Uh, thank you very much for uh, putting up with uh, the uh, audio. The audio issues have been fixed. Uh, Peter Milligan, the other episode that I released this week, uh, happened after the Charles Soule interview. So uh, we're back up to speed now on Word Balloon. That really was kind of a uh, game time situation where I had Charles. We uh, had talked about doing an interview for weeks, and I did, just didn't want to put it off any longer. So we finally were able to uh, schedule everything and get everything up and running for to present it for you today. So uh, thanks again for listening through it. I hope you enjoyed it. I thought the content uh, merited the release, even uh, though the audio quality was not 100%. But uh, thanks again for listening to that. Word Balloon is also brought to you by uh, InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, the hunt for Wolverine. The Death of Wolverine co- Complete Collection is available at InStockTrades.com. Nearly 500 pages of Charles Soule and Steve McNiven action. Other artists as well are represented, but uh, this is the story uh, that leads to uh, the current status quo that we're experiencing right now. And it is available for you at a reasonable price. Uh, 500 pages, 50% off. It's just $19.99 at InStockTrades.com. You can also get things like uh, the Marvel Team-Up Masterworks, Volume 3, the hardcover, Len Wein, Jerry Conway, Ross Andrew, other uh, great uh, creators. Who else have we got? Jim Mooney in there. I'm sure Mike Esposito's got to be doing uh, the inking for Ross Andrew. I love Ross Andrew. If you uh, listen to the uh, podcast, you'll know that reference. But uh, this is a great book, 272 pages, 50% off. It's $37.50 at InStockTrades.com. While uh, we're on the subject of Marvel, you can get the Werewolf by Night Complete Collection. Doug Monk doing the writing. Uh, This collects uh, Giant Size Werewolf uh, number 5, Werewolf by Night uh, 31 through 43, Spider-Woman 6, 19 and 32, Marvel Team-Up 93, Ghost Riders 55, Moon Knight 29, and uh, Story and Material from Marvel Premiere number 59. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Jack Russell's and his amazing uh, run. And uh, this covers a good chunk of it right there with a great Gil Kane cover. 464 pages. It's 42% off. $23.19 at InStockTrades.com. You can also get... Let's get another publisher in here. How about Eternal Warrior from Valiant? Uh, What a great run that's been. Robert Venditti uh, doing the writing on that. And uh, who have we got on art? We got Raul Allen. We got Patricia Martin. Robert Gill. Uh, uh, Renato, Renato Guedes as well. Uh, good stuff. 400 pages, and it's uh, 30% off of the uh, Wrath of the Eternal Warrior Deluxe Edition. It's uh, just $34.99 at InStockTrades.com. Great books at great prices. Check it out for yourself. InStockTrades.com. And Word Balloon is brought to you by Comics Experience. Don't forget this Saturday, a great opportunity to learn from a real television professional. Georgia Lee, one of the great writers on Sci-Fi's The Expanse. If you're not watching The Expanse, pretty cool show that snuck up on us. Good for Tom Jane. I'm very happy that Tom Jane is associated with uh, this kind of very interesting uh, sci-fi show that involves espionage and politics. Uh, Lots of real hardcore consequences. The effects are very impressive. And uh, Georgia is uh, running a master seminar with comics experience called Writing for Television. She's going to tell you all about uh, what it's like to work in a television's writer's room based on her own experience. She's been working on The Expanse for all three seasons. Uh, you'll want to register for this great event. It's happening this Saturday, May 12th, live 
and uh, it will be held live online. Uh, you'll be able to ask questions live as well. Register now at comicsexperience.com. You can also find more courses and get full details on how to enroll for this one-of-a-kind, uh, one-time event. Georgia Lee, comicsexperience.com, writing for television. It's happening this Saturday, May 12th. There's lots of other great courses there. Uh, it's an excellent source of uh, learning how to write and draw, and they've got great professionals teaching uh, under the guise of uh, Andy Schmidt, who uh, is, uh, I guess, the de facto dean of Comics Experience. Uh, you really need to check it out. And uh, this is a tremendous opportunity to learn from uh, a professional television writer and uh, get some great answers to, I'm sure, questions that have been burning in your mind if you've wanted to write for television. This is a great opportunity. Saturday, May 12th, Georgia Lee Master Seminar Writing for Television event at comicsexperience.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, more coming up in the days and weeks ahead here in May and beyond. And very excited about a lot of uh, new time guests and also uh, returning friends as well to uh, give us great conversation here at the Word Balloon Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.